symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to my world. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, your friend and mine, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? Happy belated Turkey Day weekend. Now, we exchanged texts multiple times over the last couple of days, but uh, here we go. We are doing our post-Thanksgiving episode. I'm pretty fired up about this one, Conrad, before we get right into it. The topic today is Dirty Dutch Mantel, and I got about halfway through the notes, Conrad, for the first time in, uh, I'll call it, in the passenger seat of my world. I said, if I look at this too much, I'm going to be thinking about it too much. I didn't finish the notes first time ever and could have easily finished the notes because I started, uh, had a couple times had the flights coming home from WrestleCade. So I'm fired up for today. Dutch is near and dear to my heart, but uh, we're going to tell some funny stories, um, maybe some not so funny stories, some Dutchisms. But uh, Connie, college football, is it not the most unpredictable sport in the United States, I can't get outside of the States because I only know a little bit and world cup is dominating globally and 2 billion people are watching or something like that. You see that stat 400, 400 million watch the Super Bowl, billions watch the world cup. So anyhow, how are you doing, pal? I'm great, man. I'm excited to be here. And, uh, of course you and I are recording on Monday morning. So we don't yet know exactly what the college football rankings look like. So I've just got to go with the old AP 25. That's Georgia at number one. No argument for me. Would you agree? Oh, I I think everybody else is playing for second place right now. I really do. Michigan coming in at 12 and 0. They're number two. TCU coming in at 12 and 0 is number three. I can't believe that the AP has USC ahead of Ohio State at four and five. But man, something real weird's going on. Like it says here that Alabama's number six and Tennessee's number seven. Hmm. Every metric that is played, look anywhere. Go ahead and get your Google machine. Strength of schedule, all the. I mean, it, it, look, it's fixed. College it's football's fixed. fixed. NFL's fixed. The only thing left that's actual, just I mean, legitimate. Is professional wrestling. I'll tell you what, what, what made me laugh out loud. And I mean, well, out loud. you cannot agree with those analytics that Alabama's ahead of Tennessee. Of course they are. Are you kidding? Conrad Thompson, Alabama lost to South. I mean, Tennessee lost to South Carolina. Who won head up? Yeah, I get that. I'm not arguing that, but I'll say you lost to South Carolina. Do we need to? Do we need to go any further than that? Did we boat race LSU? Yep. Did you guys get taken to the woodshed by LSU? Yep. We didn't lose to South Carolina. Here's the thing that made me laugh over the weekend. On game day, two, including Kirk Herbstreet, two people picked Vanderbilt to beat Tennessee. Now, I realize that most of the nation knows Vanderbilt to be one of the finest academic schools in the whole nation. And you would be correct, sir, but they're lucky to field the dog on football team, especially since, uh, since Mr. Franklin left, but 56 to zero was the final score. Vanderbilt zero Tennessee number seven in the nation. Lucky number seven, 56 points. Unbelievable. 
And uh, it makes me think of a Dutchism. Never interfere with your enemies while they're in the process of destroying themselves. And that's certainly <laughs> apropos. Is that Dutch? See. That's our first Dutchism. We're going to post all of the Dutchisms we could put our hands on. We had a, a friend of the show. I don't think we're supposed to say their name, but a friend of the show provided us with plenty of Dutchisms, and they're going to be posted up over at adfreeshows.com. I mean, five pages worth of Dutchisms, but there's your first one. Conrad, and I, I apologize because I talked over you. Can you repeat that first Dutchism? Never interfere with your enemies while they're in the process of destroying themselves. A lot of wisdom there. Would you not say there's a lot, a lot of wisdom just in that right out of the gate. Dutch is blessing us with his wisdom. <laughs> and much like uh college football, I'm sure you would agree with Dutchism number three. We'll come back to number two. I always like my reality shows to be well-scripted. <laughs> and I feel like they have well-scripted college football this year. Of course, uh, the other thing that you're trying to avoid we got to have a little turkey talk. You see, last year, you were on this program talking all kinds of shit about my turkey this, my turkey that. Well, me and RecTech teamed up this week, and I cleared the barn. I mean, Eric Bischoff didn't show up. He was out of town. Wherever he was, didn't have a RecTech. I think he had to use an oven like a goof. <laughs> and then, And then you... You knew after taking a look at my turkey last year, you couldn't compete. And you said to yourself, self, I don't need to fuck around with the fat man and the turkey. So I'm going to go ahead and forfeit. And you threw in the white towel on yourself. And then you had the cowardice. That's the right word. Cowardice, I say. Stop it. it. To to say that you didn't throw the white towel in. It was Mrs. Jarrett. Shame on you. You know, she wanted turkey and you just, you knew you couldn't compete. You didn't want to get humiliated again. You know what? My phone and my iWatch are over there driving me nuts, but they're pairing and everything. I will pull up our text exchange and tell the entire world what the real deal is. I pushed till Christmas because I took a flight back from Chicago, the Windy City, after Dynamite, and the queen, Miss Karen, said, you know what? Let's not push this thing where you got to land and drive home and make a beautiful bird and fry Conrad's ass figuratively about she knows that there's no comparison in my cooking skills and your cooking skills. She it's just that simple. And this is the first Thanksgiving that me and Karen, and she reminded me of this about eight o'clock Thanksgiving night. It's the first time I hadn't cooked a Turkey since we've been uh, married, but uh, flew in and she kind of said, Hey, let's don't risk this. And we don't want to have a Thanksgiving without Turkey meat. So, the family, my dad came over, her parents came over, my stepmom. We all had a, a grand time. But Conrad, between me and you and Mr. Bischoff, maybe he'll be close to his cooking devices. I'll fire up my rec tech. We will uh, torch your ass. And I just got to say, your bird this year, Conrad, I, I don't know if it had COVID. I, I, don't, I don't know if it had like, just maybe a a, a late uh, summer cold. Uh, you know what? It, it, maybe it had strep throat and didn't eat very well. Hey, hey, let's throat. just talk about it. Rates are 7%. We're doing all we can down here. All right. <laughs> uh, hey, let, let's talk about why we're here today. Dutch Mantel, before we do, want to give a big shout out. Congratulations to WrestleCade, a decade of mayhem. It is a can't miss event every single year in Winston-Salem. 
so proud of what those guys have been able to put together. They took a, a fan convention and made it a whole weekend. Uh, they had incredible stuff happening multiple days in a row, including a, a super show that I think you were a part of with Mr. Matt Hardy. And then on Sunday, unbelievably, I think George South wrestled Nick Gage. So there was a lot of blood spilled in that one. It was a who's who of professional wrestling. It is each and every year. Congratulations all around to the folks at WrestleCade who do a phenomenal job. Uh, whether, whether it's Brian or it's Tracy or it's the whole group, man, it takes a whole team to put it together. Uh, high fives all around. I know you were there and, uh, I saw a broken guitar, but I didn't see your hand raised. Was, were my eyes playing tricks on me or what happened? Jeff? Eyes and tricks. Eyes play- Conrad, I'll say this. We missed you, pal, but we understand Auburn, Alabama and everything that goes with that. But we also had a, my world live. Saturday night and had an absolute bless a blast. I want to give a shout out to Paul Bromwell. I appreciate, of course, the queen. Uh, we had special guests, our boys, the major wrestling figure podcast players. I never get that right. I told that anyway, they jumped in, uh, Dax, man, what a great storyteller. He, he was, a, he was a guest. Uh, and then Ricky, uh, Morton, uh, and his son, uh, NWA junior heavyweight champion, shall I say, and another member of the family, but man, we, that, I got to play the role of Conrad and got to ask those guys some questions, but my world life, there is nothing like Conrad. I would have never dreamed this, you know, how, uh, stubborn I was about actually doing a podcast, but doing a podcast live 2023 is going to be a lot of fun, pal. When we, uh, roll out what we can't talk about quite yet, but, uh, I'm, uh, I'm excited. No, Russell Kate, uh, it was great. Let's just say uh, there was a lot of guitars flying. Marty Garner got payback again. Uh, he's the one who took the guitar shot. Um, the Queen and Miss Rebby, there was hair flying. There was fists flying. There were slaps flying. Uh, I'll say this. That was some entertaining 15 minutes if you, uh, if you got a ch- chance to check out The Last Outlaw and um, Mr. Matt Hardy and his Delete crew. So, it was a, uh, what a weekend, man. What a, a, it, it, look, it goes without saying specifically to, to the, my world listeners, Conrad, I had a couple of photos on the table of, uh, me and the nature boy in the last match, uh, in the signing, what conversations came out of that? You talk about a conversation piece. I'm yeah. serious. I mean, it, it was, you know, uh, lots of folks came up, obviously we're in flair country right there in Winston-Salem and, you know, the talk of, you know, Charlotte and Greensboro and Raleigh and just all the, the territory days. I got to see our buddy, David Crockett, Conrad. I literally, we could do a whole little, uh, post-mortem. Uh, we did it at ad free top guy weekend, but man, the, the, the Ric Flair's last match, that conversation, look at that knockout blow, but that, um, it, it's, uh, it does my heart good Conrad. And I, I'll say it again. I appreciate all the pieces of the puzzle that came together that weekend. A lot of fun. Congrats again, everyone at WrestleCade and shout out to the folks over at big time wrestling that put on a heck of a show at the Dorton arena. That's right. The famed Dorton arena. It may have been the last time we see the rock and roll express in the ring together. They got a win over the Briscoe brothers, but then in the main event, it was FTR and Ricky, the dragon steamboat in the return of the dragon. Uh, they took on uh, Brock Anderson who had his dad, Arn Anderson in the corner. Black Machismo, which of course is Jay Lethal donning his finest WrestleMania three gear for Randy Savage cosplay that only he can do. And the mystery opponent, friend of the show, Nick Aldis, man, you want to talk about a cast of characters. Those are six, uh, icons in the wrestling business. And of course, one day we hope 
Brock's going to get there. And with that look and pedigree, I'm sure he will. But uh, I, I thought it was a fun show. I got to catch it on fight. I know you got to catch a few minutes of it on fight as well. Congrats all around. I don't know that it's officially Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's last match. They just called it the return. So maybe there's more, but man, did they, did they go nuts for a deep arm drag or what? I loved it. And uh, the, the triple uh, figure four, it was good, man. Very entertaining. And uh, I was happy uh, that uh, kind of how they wove in uh, Nick Aldis. Those are saying I've always been a fan of Nick. So uh, that was all good, man. And my partner, my AEW compadre. That's right. Brother Jay. We are fired up to. Uh, I'm ready for dynamite already, my man. I'm, I'm ready. Oh, granddaddy ass and slap max and junior ass and a bunch of ass wife uh, at AEW. Don't don't give me that cross look, Conrad. Okay, I don't, I don't still know where we're going with all the ass talk, but uh, let's get going on Dutch Mantel. But first, let's do another Dutchism. This will bring us up to three. Oh, no. Here we go. People will rise to the level of their incompetence. And with that in mind, let's jump right into it. Dutch Mantel, before we even talk about the show, he found out. Time out. People will rise to their level of incompetence. That's kind of fitting. Why didn't you use that on that stupid AP poll ranking Alabama above Tennessee? Those AP right, uh, voters are freaking incompetent. All right, carry on, friend. Well, you know, you're saying that as someone who doesn't even remember. Let me ask you. Oh, boy. When was the last time Tennessee won a national championship? Can you remind us? 98. Yeah, it's eight. I was I almost said nine, but it's ninety-eight. So 98. that was a year before you held up Vince McMahon and dropped the belt to China. I just want everybody to understand. And now you've been starved for attention here. Here's another Dutchism. Dutchism number four of the day. Poverty has a strange way of changing someone's attitude. <laughs> and and you have been poverty stricken for national titles and attention and this well, is going to be a fun podcast. I didn't realize that you were going to be so engaged in the Dutchisms. And to give a little context, Dutchisms obviously are something Dutch would say. But in a creative meeting, often, and obviously he'd do it on site days, production days, event days, and all that. But in the room, uh, whoever it may be, Jeremy Borash back in the day, Matt Conway, Rudy, Scott Demore, Mike Tanay, whoever was in the room, and we're thinking about different things. There's often kind of lulls or quiet. Everybody's kind of thinking, or there's sidebars. And Dutch would just kind of sit back and walk around the room. And then he'll all of a sudden, that's what he'll say, you know? And then he'll spat out a Dutchism. So Dutchisms are legendary. And uh, <clears throat> there was some judicious note-taking through the year. So I'm super grateful for that today. So carry on, partner. <laughs> Podcast fans, huge ad-free shows announcement. The premiere of Click This, the Kevin Nash podcast, is coming to ad-free shows live next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's December 6th for a live watch-along of his world title match against Goldberg from Stargate. It's happening next Tuesday on adfreeshows.com. Here's the deal. All $29 level members and higher on ad-free shows will be invited to join the live watch-along event. And top guy members will get to come up and chat live with Kevin during the event. Talk to Kevin. Kevin talks to nobody. Barely talks to me and I'm his co-host. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to chat one-on-one with Kevin and watch this live watch-along next Tuesday at freeshows.com.
Dirty Dutch found out we were doing this show and he took to Twitter. My job critique better be good, senior Jeffrey. And tell that co-host of yours to watch his comments because I have his address. Yeah, I looked it up on Google. I could just pull up in his driveway and sit there and replay the last minute of the Tennessee-Bama game. So I guess he is, uh, he's with you. Is he a damn volunteer? You don't know who a fan of, like, I mean, Conrad, you are obviously a diehard Bama fan. Rightly so. I'm a diehard UT fan. Rightly so. He's born in South Carolina. Is he somehow a volunteer fan? No. Think South Carolina, buddy. He's a Clemson guy. Huge. I mean, huge. Wonder what he thought about the Irish whipping his ass this year. (laughs) I bet he got a little quiet. And then South Carolina took him down. He's not doing so well this year. He's, uh, he may be crying in his own. Um, yeah, I bet he had a rough weekend. <laughs> I can't wait for him to hear this. I, uh, I can't wait to talk about it. Here we are. Wayne Maurice. How do I say his last name? Cowan. Cowan. You'll see his, his first working name was C O W A N, but it's his real name is K E O W N Cowan. Born in South Carolina, November 29th, 1949. That's right, boys and girls. Today is his 73rd birthday. So let's reach out to him on Twitter, if we would, at Dirty D Mantell. Give him a little birthday shout out, at Dirty D Mantell. He's going to start wrestling in 1972 as Wayne Cowan, working in Georgia before moving on to the name of Dutch Mantell by December of 1974. And the first thing we could find on Dutch wrestling, your father was in Knoxville, March 28th, 1975. That would make you like seven. I think when do you first remember hearing about the name Dutch Mantel? Late seventies, early eighties. He worked for Nick Goulas, obviously in, in the territory. And this is right as my, uh, so Nick Goulas, it was in that transition period. Dutch was actually still working for Nick, uh, but, you know, Dutch made a home base in Nashville off and on for years and years and years. Uh, but the first recollection of me hearing Dutch Mantel uh, right in that transition period, I don't know if he was working for Nick or my father, but regardless, it was on Nash, uh, Nashville TV, my, my local TV. And then as time got going, obviously, he was a mainstay and probably my first real I guess vivid memory was, um, I don't think, no, I don't think I'd actually left my mom's house and moved in with my dad. But, uh, when I would come out there in the summers and different times, my dad, that's the first time I saw the Hulk Hogan video that Michael St. John voiced over, but my dad had these big three quarter inch tapes, all different videos. And I would, he taught me how to work the machine real simple. But anyway, uh, I watched the video that they put together of, um, Dutch, versus Lawler to the song a winner takes it all and it was a baby face match and we'll get to that in there but I bet I've watched that video as a kid a hundred times more than that but uh so you know I heard his name in and out but um Dutch was 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 such a unique character he was so different but when you think back to the Memphis the King and the little lossy Dundee and all the different personas Dutch was uh super athletic but dirty Dutch mentel with the bull rope Vivid, vivid, vivid childhood memories of his character. He's the classic traveling wrestler, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, Texas, but maybe his greatest run was in Puerto Rico. 
They sold out a 16,000 seat stadium nine weeks in a row as a tag team with Cowboy Frankie Lane in 1979. Nine weeks in a row, Jeff. And I realize this is a different era. In the territory days, we ran the same building every single week. But 16,000 seat stadium every week, nine weeks in a row. Man, you got something special here. Do you know it? So to the folks that don't really understand and Conrad, I, I, I wish I would have done this, but Puerto Rico, obviously it's an Island. The, the population isn't that big. It, it is, it is a, a territory of the U S but you know, they have, you know, it's Spanglish. So, but it is Spanish speaking. Um, so, you know, Spanish is the first language. So Dutch down there, um, his partner, they teamed up uh, Frankie, uh, gosh, Frankie Lane. Um, but, just doing the quick math, 16 weeks in a row of, uh, or nine weeks in a row of 16,000 people, you know, j- just, but a different era, but Dutch as a heel and, and making his mark down there. And this is for Carlos Colon, uh, and his organization. And you think about his history down there and we're going to get to it, uh, in, in a little while, but he made his mark coming in the territory as a heel down there and big box office. But, uh, the, you know, I know it's a different era, but still 16,000 people at a baseball stadium, nine, eight, nine, ten 10 weeks in a row. Um, it's, it's, it's an incredible run. And I know in the territory days, there are a lot of runs and you see it on the tails of the territory and different stuff like that. But the Dutchman was over in Puerto Rico as a heel. That would be an understatement in those days. Uh, Dutch eventually comes to Memphis, August 4th, 1980. We would see Dutch and Austin Idol defeat Jerry Jarrett and Tojo Yamamoto to win the CWA world tag team titles. It's a no DQ match at the mid South Coliseum. Uh, any chance you were at that one or remember that one? No, the, the thing that I, that during, so this is 80, I think you said, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. 12 years old, 13 years old, but this is when I started to ask a lot of questions. And I can remember my grandfather, Eddie Marlin, um, Randy West, my uncle who did production, ran the camera, him and Dutch made a lot of trips together. But, um, you know, when I would ask, I'll call it wrestling questions, they would always say Dutch can do it all in the ring. He can be a heel. He can be a baby face. He can work a single, he can work a tag. He can work a brawl. He can do a wrestling match. You know, when you look at Dutch and I used to tell guys at TNA, you see Dutch walking around and his hips are bad and his knees bad and, you know, life, uh, he, he's, you know, had a hard road life. Like a, a lot of wrestlers, people like, oh, old Dutch and whatever they may or may not know it. But I'm like, guys, dude, that guy is a incredible athlete in his day. And that's what would always resonate with my dad or Eddie Marlin. They just say Dutchman can do it all in the ring, but I was not there. Uh, it, like I said, that video of, uh, get to his history. I know that's coming up. 1982 is Dutch and Lawler facing off in a pretty rare good guy versus good guy series. Uh, it's written here. Mantel achieved what no other opponent could do while Lawler was a baby face. And that was get a clear cut win win over the King. This is pretty rare. I mean, in this era, your dad certainly believed in you don't beat your top guy. You got to have a top guy. That's who feeds us. That was really the way Vince senior was running the territory too with Bruno. And then, you know, his son behind him, Hulk Hogan, nobody saw clean wins over those guys. It was very, very rare. Uh, even the ultimate warrior and Goldberg. And I mean, there's a lot to be said about that, but 
in this era in Memphis to get a, a win over Lawler with no cheap stuff, no interference, no cheating, none of that. It's pretty rarefied air for the Dutchman, is it not? I'm sure. As uh, Conrad, has Bruce ever <laughs> mocked Mole Man, given the, the analogy about the dragon and the dragon slayers? No. Oh, gosh, I've been done. Bruce can do it great. But anyway, that was the analogy that my, you know, you know, the king of Memphis, but, you know, the top baby face is the dragon slayer. And from a creative or a booking perspective, you always have to keep building those dragons and the dragons get closer and closer and closer. And, and, you know, that's what Jerry Lawler was. He was, you get the heels ready for him, whether it's Kamala, whether it's Bill Dundee, whatever it may be, but you, you knock them off the mountain. So the King stayed on top of his mountain for years and years and years. But when you have a guy like Dutch Mantel and it's a baby face versus baby face match. And this to me just kind of shows the, the, the art of our business, the magic of our business, the, the, the drama of our business, because Lawler didn't put many guys over. And a lot of people say, Oh, his ego, this and that look, that may or may not be the predominant factor. Of course it's a factor, but Lawler was business and he was part owner of the territory. So what mattered most to him (laughs) was keeping those houses and the paychecks coming in. But for him to put Dutch over, when I look back on it from a historical perspective, it just says one thing. He knew that, and I say he, Lawler, Lawler knew that he could get over by putting Dutch over. That is, to me, a huge tip of the cap uh, to the Dutchman. And And they did it in a typical memphis fashion but the people were emotionally connected to it and it got longevity out of that program but that's the video that i'm talking about they put a a, my father put a video together and that song is dramatic and you know you couldn't get away with the day in today's world but in that what a story it told of dutch mantel beating the king jerry lawler and it was a great program great great angle great storyline well i'll tell you what in order for Dutch to beat uh, the king, he had to uh, be at his best that day. And when you're looking to be at your best, you need athletic greens. Jeff and I have made AG1 a part of our regular routine, and we think you should too. Now, peek, peek behind the curtain, my wife actually had to start using athletic greens back at the start of the pandemic. She wanted to optimize our immune system. She knew I hated taking pills or vitamins, and if I was going to do it, it needed to actually taste good. Well, guess what? It's awesome. Now with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, all to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, your aging, all of the things. Jeff and I think of it as like your all-in-one nutritional insurance. Our friend Dallas would want you to know it's lifestyle-friendly. Whether you eat keto or paleo or vegan or dairy-free, gluten-free, this will work for you. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything, and it still tastes great. It's going to support better quality, better recovery, better mental clarity, better alertness. And you don't have to take our word for it, man. These folks have over 7,000, that's right, over 7,000 five-star reviews. And right now, we think it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Think about this. It's one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune 
immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash myworld. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash myworld. Take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, let's uh, let's jump into uh, the rest of the, the story here of Dutch Mantel because we got a series of matches with Lawler. And then in 86, he loses a loser leaves town match against Bill Dundee. So Lawler and Mantel finally mend their ways long enough to face Dundee and Landell in a Texas tornado death match at the Mid-South Coliseum in front of a sold out red hot Memphis crowd. And the match went a record 28 falls. You heard me 28 falls. It lasted one hour and 15 minutes. Is there anything more Memphis than that? (laughs) So that's March of 86, correct? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and who lost the loser leave Lawler, right? Well, uh, if after Lawler loses a loser leaves town match against Bill Dundee, they get back together to take on Dundee and Landell in a Texas death tornado match. Because April of 86, that's where I was going with it. We shot the angle that I think it was week two. So I got beat up on TV, Conrad. That's where I was got me and Dutch's unique kind of careers crossing many, many times is, is has always been somewhat fascinating to me because th- that is, um, that was the angle Lawler came out of, uh, the loser leave. My dad got, I got beat up. My dad got beat up. He goes over to the desk says Lawler, you're coming back. They come back. They, they sell out. And then they, I think it's a return and they do the, the Texas. It's just folks. There is a YouTube clip that Derek Sabato, our researcher, he has already tweeted. And I know, uh, my world pod will retweet this. If you are a fan of shoot, if you're just a professional wrestling fan, go, go watch a clip of this. Just it, it's, it's Dutch Mantel in so many ways, kind of the essence of, of those four guys, it was, uh, you, it, you can't get emotionally invested because you weren't there in the time frame of the storyline, but for the moment, uh, 28 falls, you can imagine how the people in the arena felt it, it. And, and they went to the ring and Dutch and Lawler tell the story. They didn't really know how many falls they were going to go right the with, with it. That's I, I miss. I'm missing that point. They went out and, you know, knew, ultimately who was going over, but we're just going to do falls. And that's, that's art. That, that's, that's not a performance. Um, not, not to get into the cornetisms, uh, but, but I agree with that. That was art as opposed to a performance. 28 falls. Yeah. And that's, that's Memphis. It, it, well, it's, 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 uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's non-televised, you you yes. you know, it's, you know, when you do TV, that's your master. It's time you have to be, you know, you, you can't go along. You can't do this when you're in a non-televised setting. Um, that's the beauty of it. And you just listen to the people. And, and, you know, that's something that when I go to these shows and have for years that the first match will go eight or 10 Conrad. And then the second match may go 25. And I'm like, guys, that was really, really good but we're an hour and 15 minutes into uh, uh, this show and we got nine matches to go because the promoter booked an 11 match card. And, and and I don't think the guys do it on purpose, but it's super selfish. 
super, super, super selfish to me. If you don't leave it to at least the last two matches, maybe three, let them put in the time. Unless you're specifically told anything that goes out there and goes 15, 20 minutes early. I think sometimes it's, I get it. It's maybe a little uneducated and they don't do it on purpose, but it's extremely selfish for the overall presentation of, of, of a product. I, uh, I can't stress this enough. This is 1986. Remember now Lawler lost a loser leaves town, his return in this death match that went one hour and 15 minutes with 28 falls is the last time the Mid-South Coliseum was sold out for professional wrestling. That just, tells you just the, the hold that Lawler had and how important he was, but also the vote of confidence that the organization and Lawler himself had in Dutch Mantel. And it's one of those things where, and, and I know that Memphis, for whatever reason, doesn't get the attention or respect online that a Jim Crockett promotions or a WWWF does or whatever, but man, that's big stuff. I just want to remind everybody by 86 Vince has gone national by 86. Jim Crockett has national TV on TBS. Starcade is a thing. WrestleMania is a thing. Most of the territories are gone and we're still able to sell out the mid South Coliseum one last time. And right at the center of all that is Dutch Mantel and Jerry Lawler. That's pretty cool. I can't believe you're doing this, Conrad. What? You always give me a hard time about all the different things that I've destroyed. You know what this angle's around? Little Jeff Jarrett getting beat up on TV. (laughs) Just add Jarrett, you get a sellout. I'm kidding, Connie, but I will say this. Now, I just want to remind everybody, this is, as far as I know, one of the first times you were involved in a big angle like this. It's the it's the first time. I had refereed but never been on Memphis TV. I had refereed a lot of spot shows, set up the ring. The summers before, this is in um, – I would played basketball this season. So this is a March angle. I played tournament basketball in the month of March of 86. But in 85 and 84, high schools when I'm playing – high school basketball and all that I'm refereeing and setting up the ring and whatever you want to say, paying my dues, but the, the territory, which you, you set it up beautifully, Vince and the Crockett's and our, the territory was down, down, down. Yes. And you know, it yes. just, it, it was what it was, but Lawler, they'd shot an angle. And look, when you get in a creative room or, or in a car and I'm sure my father and Lawler had different conversations and it would circle around to this simple deal, Jerry, uh, as in, uh, I'll, I, my, my father talking to Lawler. Lawler, I got to build some dragons. We got to build some dragons. And we can't build them with you around. So you know what you got to do? You got to take some time off. We got to do something. You got to get hurt. You got to do this. You got to do that. We need you off TV four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks to build dragons. So I'm sure that was kind of the dynamic. Again, we're a summer territory. So do it in January, February, March so we can have a hot summer. That's kind of the formula that was played through the years. And so just kind of the timing was there and, and they knew that I'd refereed and okay, how do we do as tales of the territory put it out, personal issues, draw money. Right. So what is a personal issue? Okay. The promoter is Jerry Jarrett. 
so he's the one that can lift this loser leave town. Cause back in those days, it was loser leave town for 12 months. So that was kind of the, the, the stipulation. People knew that all are wasn't going to be gone forever, but for 12 months. And so that that's what they came up with. And Hey, we're going to beat the shit out of Jeff on TV. And his old man's going to come out. He's going to get beat up even more. And Dundee and Landale were the hot heels and, and, and it was what it was, but you just kind of have to write the song. You got to have to have the right singers and you can have a number one hit, but I'll never forget the angle that was laid out. Look, I'm green. It's the very first angle I've ever been in, but I had no idea, but here's where it ties into Dutch. So they're like, I, you know, Dundee, you're going to knock land. Yeah. You're going to knock me out in the ring, beat the shit out of me. Dutch came out of the shower, still had shampoo in his hair. You know, that was the storyline that they're, that's why nobody came to save me and my old man. The baby, there weren't any baby faces to come. Finally, when Dutch gets there, but the scene of Dutch picking me up like a little kid, I'm 18 years old, but Dutch scoops me up all 160 pounds ringing wet of me, but he kind of carries me out. And that was the picture that my old man and Dutch and them wanted to say that here's a kid. He's not a wrestler. He's a kid. Again, simple storytelling, but he got emotional and it obviously worked because the King came back and they bought it and they sold the building out. Pretty cool story to me. And then of course, once you got involved, they never <laughs> sold out again. Um, I knew that was coming. I had really, I mean, I knew, and I, I and this is a little known fact, but the, when you debuted on dynamite in Baltimore, the very next day in Jacksonville, I had flower deli- flowers delivered to Tony Khan's office. And I just said, sorry for your loss. And he texted me and he said, what, what did I miss? And I said, well, you hired Jeff Jarrett. I mean, you, that's the first step, you know? And I didn't know it went all the way back to 86. Oh yeah. I mean, but you've they, heard, you know, the bullet club was hot. I mean, they were number one seller at hot topic. And then you got involved. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> The NWO was the hottest angle wrestling ever saw. People thought, well, this is going to beat Vince's ass. They're going to go out of business. Then they put Bob Vila glasses in there. (laughs) One after another. Poor Tony Khan. Lord bless him. Maybe we should get him on the horn with your dad. I tried him as a referee. And (laughs) next thing I know, he's swinging guitars and figuring four and women. It's the damnedest thing I ever saw. Well, ended, uh, Ended Flair's career. Yeah. And you know what? It's a shame you weren't in uh by proxy. I've ended Steamboat's career because Jay Lethal and me and him are tag partners. So just by proxy, I knocked the dragon out of out of cahoots. You know, <laughs> here's the thing. I think half the world was convinced you were the mystery opponent. And I was kind of low-key pulling for it because you'll kayfabe the shit out of me. And I was just ready to see a guitar poke through that uh curtain first. And when it didn't, I was oh, it's Nick Aldis. That's good. Okay. Conrad, do you know a little known fact also? What's that? Did you know that I was at the Tennessee South Carolina game? Really? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding because they got their ass beat. I was of course they did. Up, pal. Oh, I was, yeah, oh, my my pal. I didn't know you went to that one, but that this is like I've heard of the Madden curse in football. There is a Jarrett curse in wrestling. Uh, can you believe it? 
It's finally here. It's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you get stressed out about how to pay for it. SaveWithConrad.com can help you make this the best Christmas ever. You won't make a house payment for the next two months. That's right. Skip your next two house payments and use all that cash for your extra holiday expenses. And come next year, you're going to have a lower monthly payment. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Pay your credit card debt off at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, I, I love this story, though. And I think it's cool that you got to see the Mid-South Coliseum sold out because that was the last time you would see a sold out crowd for a long, long time. Yeah, no, the territory, that's, who would have thought that that w- w- was, I mean, it's just, who would have thought that with, with the players that were involved, my dad, Lawler, Dutch, me, Dundee, Landell, um, j- just the, the, the whole recipe to all of that, you know, and a month later, you know, I, I, because they're like, Hey, is Jeff? And, I, and my dad was like, no, he's still in school. I mean, so you'll know, I was not at that sellout. I went back to class on Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went back to class. So. I just love it. And it's such a cool story and a cool visual. And we're going to throw this up on Twitter so you can see it, but Dutch running out to make the save fresh out of the showers. He's still barefoot, got shampoo in the hair, picking you up, carrying you out. Man, personal issues draw money. It's a fact. Um, one of the hottest angles, you know, uh, the hot, maybe the hottest last angle that Memphis ever had. And I think one of your earliest matches is teaming with Dutch in the six man tag. June 2nd, 1986. Billy Travis, who we've told some fun stories about on live shows and early episodes here. Teaming with Dutch Mantel and Jeff Jarrett to take on Danny Fargo, Pat Rose, and Rip Rogers in the Mid-South Coliseum in a nightmare match. Pat Rose, friend of the show, doing his fishing thing over in Chattanooga. Everybody has a Rip Rogers story who's been around wrestling long enough. And Danny Fargo feels like the guy that some of our fans or some of our listeners might not be familiar with. What can you tell us about Danny? Uh, I can tell you real quick. He, uh, I was working with him one night in Seymour, Indiana. He grabbed my arm and uh, shot uh, shot me off. He said, reverse, give me a backdrop. I did that, Conrad. I bent over, and he took his size 10 or 12 boot and put it right in my nose, and blood came a-gushing. Uh, but Danny, journeyman wrestler, what a, as they say, a hell of a hand. A really, really good wrestler. Really, really good. Uh, I, I just, man, when you say Rip Rogers, that is his home, Seymour, Indiana, and also the home of John Cougar Mellencamp. Um, but no, that, that was something about that angle with Lawler returning. You know, Lawler didn't always make Louisville and Evansville and Nashville and, and Dutch did. Uh, but that was the, that was the angle to set up the summer. And there was all kinds of variations because in April, Tony Falk, who was kind of a appendage to D- Dundee and Landell and Dun- uh, Tony Falk was on that massive losing streak. And he comes out and says, Hey, I am finally going to break my losing streak. I, there's without a doubt, I've got an opponent that I can beat. Lance Russell's who that? And that's that referee, Jeff Jarrett. And Lance is like, come on, Tony. Yeah, I can't do a Lance voice, but he's like, he doesn't even. Oh, come on, Tony. <laughs> so anyway, but that was kind of the, the, the um, again, it set up the summer. So the heels, you know, Dundee, Landell, Tony Falk, Rip Rogers, that whole crew, and on the babyface side, uh, you know, I started uh, on, on on that side, obviously, and 
Dutch and gosh, Billy Travis. There was, and then Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond came in later that summer, I think. Um, but Tojo was around, and uh, me and Pat uh, wrestled Akio Sato and Tarzan Goto. Yeah, that was a that was man year one, the rookie year. We had to do a pot on that one year, all the different opponents. But uh, we were off to the races uh, in in so many ways. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Well, let's talk about something that we have teased before, and now it's actually happened over at adfreeshows.com. Uh, you want to talk about something that was interesting. It came up again and became a hot topic during the Tales from the Territory episode on Vice. You and Dutch wrestled in October of 88 at the Smithsonian's Music Concert Hall for the Cultural Institution's Lonesome Pine Specials as Willie Mays conducted his percussion orchestra War Games. We did a little watch along and you sort of broke down the silliness and craziness of this. Uh, and everybody can check that out over at adfreeshows.com. But tell me briefly how an orchestra match came to be. And I want to remind everybody of another Dutchism. (laughs) Hell, back in the day, people thought the space program was fake, but wrestling was real. (laughs) Tell us about an orchestra match. Oh man. Uh, we got into it a little bit on tales of the territory. I won't get long winded, but all kinds of deals came through. LaGrange is a maximum security prism, uh, in the state of Kentucky. They wanted, uh, prison entertainment. So, uh, they reached out off of wave TV and Louisville TV. And that's how they booked that show. But this set of set of circumstances at the, uh, Louisville symphony came through a, a guy by the name of Mark Guillen. I can't pronounce that, but if you ever watch uh, specifically Dallas TV, the beauty and the beast, they worked in Tennessee, uh, Terry Garvin, not the Ron Garvin family, not the Terry Garvin family. It was another Terry Garvin, but Terry Car- Garvin was the beauty. Mark D was the beast, but he uh, lived in Nashville. He was legitimately a uh, studio percussionist who performed at symphonies and he had a concept and presented it uh, to the office and it kind of went through its way and, and me and Dutch get our booking sheet and, you know, a call, my dad probably didn't call me, but he called Dutch and said, Hey, here's, here's this booking. Uh, can you do it? You guys got to stay over in, in uh, Louisville where they want a ring and they want a match. And it started out really just as a, I can't say another booking, but a, a just a booking on the booking sheet. You're going to wrestle at a symphony. When we got there, that's when, I've really, it sunk into me that, all right, this is a unique set of circumstances. The ring was in the orchestra pit. They set the ring up. The uh, conductor and the percussion piece started, but they wanted us to rehearse the match. Dutch said, hell no, I'll kind of tell you what we're going to do, but we're, we're not rehearsing it. So they actually conducted the piece within reason off of our action. And it is, it's a fascinating, it's the only match in the history of the business. Television has been around since the fifties. So now we're 70, 80 years into this. It's the only professional wrestling match in the Smithsonian. Me and Dutch like to brag on that useless bit of knowledge, but no, it was, it was a cool little deal. And again, another 
way me and Dutch's career kind of intersect. He obviously led the match and we got a big bass drum involved and Mark involved and, but it was a full day. And, and when it was over, uh, the, you wouldn't think a symphony crowd would, uh, respond the way they did, but they gave us a hell of a round of applause and they oohed and odd throughout, but it's a, uh, it's one of those cherished memories that I now have that I didn't appreciate back then. Well, as uh, another Dutchism would say, shut up, run the play and cash the damn check. Mm. And you did for the Smithsonian show. Uh, you're going to have a singles match with Dutch January 28th, 1989 with the Memphis TV studio TV studios. Dutch is going to win by DQ. Cause you used a chair. You damn cheater. Uh, and then on March 11th, 1989, you win the CWA heavyweight title from Dutch at the Memphis, uh, TV studios. And you have several rematches down at the Coliseum. This is a pretty big deal to you to win a title like this in your home territory. Is it not? So this is 89, right? Yep. What you said it, it was a, I, I want to say, therefore, well, off and on for years, it, you know, Lawler booked or my father booked, but, but my dad always had an assistant booker that would carry finishes and would help him out and all that. I want to say that Dutch was maybe assistant booker during this time, but I'd been wrestling three or four years at this point, And me and Dutch had always gotten along and made trips together and all that. But I, I just remember the opportunity to work with Dutch night in, night out. Uh, you know, somebody had to ask me, well, tell me one or two or three things Dutch taught you. I think he was a huge early influence on slowing down, but not stopping, but I'm I'm just going to say slowing down, but probably more importantly is listening with a real fine ear that you can listen to the people and know, all right, we need to get off our ass and do something or just hold up. They're, They're, they're coming. They're rumbling. We'll get them. Uh, and kind of the pacing of the beginning of the match, Dutch always used to lock up. I won't call it stiff, but very, very snug to, to really set the tone that you're going to see two athletes going at it. Uh, he's just a really, really, as they say now, underrated uh, in-ring worker. Uh, but, yeah, I enjoyed my time. Uh, right, it, it, I sat under the Dutch Mantel learning tree during this time, big time. And I was told when you came to the back, after the match, oh boy, you trying to learn, you know, ask the grizzled veteran what I think any young performer might do and look for advice. What'd you think? How did I do that sort of thing? You seek feedback, right? Jeff, if you're trying to get better at something, you have to, you're setting me up for something. Well, it's another Dutchism. Hey, here, here it is. <clears throat> of all the matches I've seen, yours is the most recent. Oh boy. That is a staple. If there ever was one. And, and, and like I'm gonna steal one from you. Dutch is uh, the young man comes through the dressing room curtain, and maybe the dressing room is off from from the arena. Maybe a little bit of a walk. Walks in and looks over and, hey guys, did y'all see so and so's last match? And that's a setup for Dutch to say, hell, I hope so. I love it. Oh, Dutchisms. July 22nd, 1989, you and Dutch have your final match together. It's actually teaming up again for an eight-man, two-out-of-three-falls match at the Memphis Studios. It's Bill Dundee, Dutch Mantel, Jerry Jira, and Nightmare Freddy taking on Chris Champion, Doug Gilbert, uh, Keith, Eric, and Tony Anthony. 
Um, Dutch is going to finish up in Memphis in March of 1990 and go to WCW where he's going to spend most of the year as a color commentator on worldwide with Tony Schiavone. And he would wrestle. Why do you think Dutch never got a fair shake in WCW at the time? Was it his look? Was it the presentation? Was it the powers that be? Did Heard not see anything in him? What do you think? And this is something that, you know, obviously I remember this, but it, it it's almost like that year was, you know, I'm working the territories. I don't really know because I don't know who the boss was. I don't know who was in charge. I don't know if he got caught in a regime change. I, I, I don't know if, if there were politics involved. There's another, you know, real set of circumstances as far as WCW. I believe during this era, you would know better. Certainly our partner, Tony, would know much better. But there was a time frame when they had an over, I mean, they had a surplus of announcers down there. Uh, you know, that, that it, he, he, a spot just wasn't open for him. Yeah. I mean, at the time you've got, uh, a C squad announcer who's fixing to come in, but yeah, I mean, to your point, you had guys like Jesse, the body Ventura and Chris champion and Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. And I mean, it's, there's a lot of, and of course, Gordon Soley and Lance, it, I don't know if Lance was during the time Lance was there. There was a yeah. bunch. A bunch Dutch finds up or winds up finishing up in July of 91. And he's going to head back to Memphis. Uh, he eventually moves on to smoky mountain, Puerto Rico. And then all of a sudden he's, uh, uncle Zebediah, I think, maybe I'm not saying that right. Uncle Zeb. Yeah. Uncle Zeb in the WWF. He's going to manage the blue brothers and, uh, that's Ron and Don Harris. And then later Justin Hawk Bradstraw. what do you think of his, uh, his WWF work at the time? I think he's going to pop up around the same time you did not too long after right yes all kind of in that time frame uh we're skipping over one of dutch's infamous uh you know my dad uh, the the evil mcmahon mr mcmahon had been created lawler was doing commentary on raw uh the steroid trial had just finished (laughs) i know where this one's going you know so, so just the whole kind of the tone of the industry was Gosh, Conrad, you do it better than I do. But you know, we it was it was a real transition. The business was down. WCW wasn't doing well. WWF wasn't doing well. It was really a low point during that time. But ninety two, everybody's on the hot seat, you yeah. know, about steroids, and everybody in the business is down as a result. Yeah. And so in ninety three, Vince stops promoting Hulk Hogan body types. Hogan's going to ease on out of there after King of the Ring and. Now he's looking for a natural monster that he can build around and it becomes diesel. And still that's when he went with the new generation guys who were the size of Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Jeff Jarrett. And he's trying to move out of the, um, the connotation of, Hey, are these guys on steroids? Because it had been such a hot topic. So your dad being your dad feels like, well, I got to protect the business. He's a businessman. And if that's, if that's an issue for Vince, probably a good chance it might be an issue for me. And as a reminder, your dad was still actively meeting with Vince on a pretty regular basis here because every Sunday concerned, he might be going to prison. And if he winds up leaving, he needs somebody to manage the books, to mind the business, to take care of this thing, keep the train on the tracks while he's away. That's a real concern. So now trying to be a good soldier and sort of fall in line and follow the leader and understand the landscape at the time, your dad holds a meeting of you know, Memphis very, talent at the mid South Coliseum. Go ahead. In a very down territory in a very down time. Just as a reminder, if the WWF in this era 
is running elementary schools and high school gyms. And they are. And WCW is doing the same and drawing hundreds, not thousands, but hundreds. Then you can imagine how abysmal the territory business was because it all just sort of rolls downhill. $40 a night was your guaranteed pay. $40. Folks, you're hearing that right. 91, 92, 93, whatever this area was, $40 a night was your pay. So go ahead. And, and, and let me just, you know, because I know people say, oh, but that was back then. What, what is that today? Well, forty dollars in nineteen ninety-two dollars compared to today is eighty-four dollars and ninety-six cents. <laughs> so I just want you to understand we're talking eighty-five dollars, and out of that, you got to get yourself there. So you got to pay your gas, drive your own car, you got to heal a room if you don't just sleep in your car. Uh, so you got to make it work on eighty-five dollars. That's tough. And your dad, Lord bless him calls all the talent together before the dozens of fans are let in. <laughs> and he says, boys, the world's changing. So if any of you are on steroids, y'all need to get off them now. And in the back of the room, Dutch raises his hand and he says, Mr. Jerry, <laughs> hell, some of us ain't on food because at $40 a night, paying your own gas, paying your own hotel, not a lot left over, which is why guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin wind up sleeping in their car and eating raw potatoes. And hating me for 30 years. <laughs> no. And hating you for 30, like you got, like you had anything to do with it. No. You're like, well, I'm making the same. Anyway, I'm all right up to my daddy's in my new Corvette, my 20,000 square foot home. I know that wasn't reality. You'd moved out by then, but that was certainly the narrative. And while Stone Cold, yeah, feelings all those years I, later. I, I'm chuckling so much, but can you, that's the relation that Dutch had. With my family. I yes. mean, there's a serious meeting, well done. Uh, 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 Rex and Tim, uh, men on a mission. Uh, there was that, that crew was in that room. And, you know, a lot of young, impressionable talent. My dad's doing his best to tow the company line. And he'll go back and tell Vince, hey, Vince, on, his, on their Sunday conversations, I had a, I had a talk with, with the talent. Look. I told them they got to get out, you know, just cleaning up ship, putting on your best face. Cause we were a quasi, I didn't call it that, but a developmental territory and Dutch has the personality, has the balls, has the wit, has the humor <laughs> to make that comment. Can you imagine what old man <laughs> did at the end of that? Okay. Uh, well, we'll this meeting's a wrap. <laughs> Here's another Dutchism for you. Feels timely. What? You want to be in the wrestling business and make money too? <laughs> That's Dutch. He eventually winds up in uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, he does some stuff in Smoky Mountain. As we mentioned, he, he pops up in the WWF with you. Um, he winds up after the WWF back in Memphis and Puerto Rico. And that's where he starts to get more into the creative side of things. He starts wrapping up his in-ring career. Would you compare him? A lot of our listeners are, are folks who really just consume the more modern products. Maybe they started watching during the attitude era and a lot of them probably never got a chance to see Dutch Mantel at his peak. Maybe they saw some enhancement stuff that he did with WCW stuff, uh, but the good old days, how would you compare him as a, a performer? Is there somebody mm. in the modern landscape that reminds you of Dutch? See, Dutch, when I look at his body of his work, 
Dutch was an ass kicker. As a baby face, he carried a bull, war, uh, bull rope, uh, bull whip, cowboy hat, announced himself from Ultralf, Texas, when he was in this area, when he was outside of this area. He used to call himself from Bucksnort, Tennessee, which is a small little community in, in uh, uh, West Tennessee. But when he did his promos, never hollering and scream. Just a matter of fact, I'm going to go kick your ass. As in, as a heel, he didn't do any of the overtly lying, cheating, stealing. He did it, and you you were convinced that Dutch believed that he was right, but he was absolutely lying through his teeth. Just a real authentic. So it's hard for me to, to draw an analogy of a, of a modern-day guy because Dutch's authenticity, like so many in his era, was so damn good. But his work could back it up in that he, I mean, he just knew the pacing and the rhythm and how to get his opponent over, how to keep himself over, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when, when he was with uh, Ron and Don, Jacob and Eli Blue, I don't think he ever really got the opportunity. I thought they were a hell of a looking ta- tag team. Twins, six, seven with Dutch as their mouthpiece. I thought that was going to be box office, uh, but didn't really get the opportunity there. You know, when he was with Bradshaw, another time that, you know, Vince just didn't have that vision to use managers so much. We're going to get to it because when he was with Swagger, I, you, you talk about a guy in the late stage of his career, but I thought Jack Swagger uh, or Jake, you know, they were, JK, uh, yeah. JK, I mean, a perfect pairing and it, I mean, if you ask me, that's what set Miro or one of the stories that set Miro to a whole nother level, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But it's hard for me, Conrad, to figure out who it comparatively speaking, but um, very, very authentic Dutch Mantel in the prime of his career. You believed in him because when you watched him, you knew what he was saying. He believed 100%. I feel like a lot of times when people make analogies to Dutch Mantel, they do it because of his physical appearance. And my man had a bearskin rug on his back. Did he know it? <laughs> and he, 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 uh, relished that thought. You used it a part of his persona at times, big furry boots and hairy back and everything that with the he, he had a bearskin rug. Yes. Yeah. He's probably got his own winter coat there. Oh, speaking of that winter is here. And for me, that means, uh, trying to find the right temperature when I sleep. Well, let me give you a little pro tip. Stay at the perfect temperature all night long using silver-infused bed sheets by Miracle Brand. They were inspired by NASA. And here's what really sold me on this. Did you know traditional bed sheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? I want to say that again. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? That can lead to acne, allergies, stuffy noses. It's just gross. Miracle Brand offers a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding like sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent 99% of the bacteria and require three times less laundry. They're self-cleaning. Listen to me. These sheets are infused with natural silver. They prevent 99.9% of bacterial growth. No more gross odors. How do you beat that? And, of course, we're going to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long. You see, Miracle Brand sheets or thermoregulating. You're going to get better sleep at night. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of luxury brands. And we think Miracle sheets are the perfect gift for your spouse, your friends, your family. After all, who doesn't want better sleep and luxurious feeling bed sheets? 
And since these come with a three free towel set, you get two gifts in one, just in time for the holidays. So stop sleeping on bacteria. Clean sheets mean less bacteria to clog your pores and fewer breakouts and other skin problems. So go right now to trymiracle.com slash myworld to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Save 40%. Be sure to use our promo code myworld at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Brand. Go to trymiracle.com slash myworld and use the code myworld to claim your three-piece towel set for free and say 40% off. One more time, that's trymiracle.com slash myworld to treat yourself a friend or a loved one this holiday season. And we thank you miracle brand for sponsoring today's episode. And with that in mind, let's do, uh, let's do another Dutchism. I think <laughs> you'll like this one. I just start chuckling when you say, let's do another Dutchism. Well, they're good. Two ECW wrestlers are walking down the street. One points up at the sky and says, Hey, is that a full moon? And the other says, I don't know. I'm not from around here. You can plug and play ECW wrestler with uh, anybody, any branch you want, any branch you want. But back in the day, that was in fashion, if you will. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Let's keep it going here. And let's talk about uh, Puerto Rico. My man set a record. Mm. The number of hours that a single writer has produced a TV wrestling show. He was responsible for four hours a week, 52 weeks a year. That's 208 hours of programming a year. One, two, three, four, five years in a row. By the way, he was routinely in the 12 to 15 ratings. You heard me. His shows in Puerto Rico averaged between a 12 to a 15. The highest was an 18.1 rating with a 55 share for the world wrestling council in 2000. Now 2000 is a year where WCW and ECW can't give their shit away. And here in Puerto Rico, yeah, the WWF's hot, but we're hitting an 18.1 rating and a 55 share. Let me explain that. Maybe you're not familiar with ratings and all that jazz. A 55 share means if there's a hundred TVs on in Puerto Rico, 55 of them are watching the wrestling. 55% of households using using television at that moment are watching Puerto Rican wrestling in 2000, not 1981, not 1978, not in 85 in 2000, Puerto Rico is a wrestling crazed Island. And in a weird way, he was the grand poobah down there. Was he not? I will not do this part of Dutch's career justice, but I want to give a little context or layout or analogy. The world wrestling council is the WWE of Of Puerto Puerto Rico. Rico. Yes. Carlos Colon is the owner. He's also the top baby face for years and years and years. And Carlos had partners and all this, but we're look. So, you know, we're 15 years. We're coming off the end of the attitude era um, you know, they get programming down there with the end of the NWO era, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
But now here, the island of Puerto Rico, and this is where, to me, it's really, really fascinating. Dutch, and he'll tell you, he got burnt out on this, but you kind of set the table on how many hours he was producing and the content. But you want to talk about a male soap opera that sucked the entire island in. It was just incredible storytelling. Ray Gonzalez is the Puerto Rican Ric Flair, if you will. Super flamboyant, great worker, great talker and everything. But a young Carlito and his brother were in the, you know, they had not wrestling and Carlito's basically running a camera. They were off camera. They weren't bits and players. I'm going back to, I was a referee that kind of got thrown in. But, you know, when, when you have a generation of fans that grew up on Carlos Colon and now, you know, it comes time that Carlos has kids and boys and all this, and they start to enter into the business. There's already a real emotional connection of Carlos's fans. Of course, that's his boys. And being with the Hispanic pride and, and the flavor of everything, and when they slowly, week by week, episodically pulled in Carlito and his brothers, and the story was told, my man Conan played a major issue. Uh, Carlito has a sister that was brought in. Just kind of the foundation. That was the episodic storytelling. And Dutch, this is where, you know, people just, and I get it, everybody's had their different successes and through the years, but nobody, I mean, to me, I don't think anybody is a close second. And and I think if Carlos sat down, he would absolutely recognize they did big business. Yeah. But Carlos from the 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 angles of, of of Dutch and the baseball stadiums as a heel, he learned the nuances and how to push the buttons and how to book for heat, but also give payoffs and keep it going week after week after week. Their television product, you just said it. I mean not just hot, red hot. On Saturdays, the world revolved around wrestling on the island. I witnessed it, you know, off and on through the years. But during this time, big ratings and big box office. And look, Carlito was right in the middle of it and just breaking into the business. Why wasn't Dutch a part of TNA at the very beginning, like the debut pay-per-view? No, he was there. He was, okay. Yeah, so so real, real quick on the Dutch story. I wanted him to be a part of it. But Dutch had a great gig in Puerto Rico, and I said, look, I, I'd, I'd love for you to, because just my relationship with him, I knew it was red hot. Coming off the, right on the end of WCW during that, this is a little story behind the story. Dutch had reached out to uh, John Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace, when WCW was still operating, and said, man, can I, because you guys, we weren't running a lot, and they were doing an anniversary or a super show. And Dutch was like, hey, can I get Jeff off your TV? Dutch wanted me to come down and be the WCW, you know, heel and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. I was still on the contract from WCW, but I'll go work for Dutch. I'd love to. And we went into, <laughs> this is a funny story. I'm like, Dutch, what, what? he said, hell, name your price. And I'm like, Dutch, I want to come work for you. What? What is it? He said, hell, I don't care. Tell Carlos, they're the one who wants you. I'm like, well, I thought you wanted me. So we went around and forth. He said, I do you want you, but they're the one paying you. I said, okay, I want to get the most money I can get, but I'm not going to break the bank. He said, hell, whatever you're going to ask, double it, make them back off of it. But anyway, that Dutch was, he's a hell of a personality, but, but no, um, he was there, Conrad, at, at show one. 
and going to try it out. He was going to try us out for a couple of weeks. When Hell South and pulled out and all that, which we've documented, you know, early in the run, he's, you know, he's like, Jeff, I get it. I'm going to go back to Puerto Rico. You know, it, it just, he knew that, that, that uh, the payroll, you know, we were tightening the back, you know, we, we were pulling in the reins because of the financial situation. He went back to Puerto Rico full time. Yeah. When he was wondering what his pay-per-view bonus would be from TNA, he says, I got a bill for my bonus. <laughs> um, let's, talk, let's, let's talk about the observer here. They write on September 29th, 2003, Dutch Mantel started this week as Booker. Mantel was offered twice what he was earning in Puerto Rico as the Booker of IWA and Victor Quinones couldn't match the offer. Plus IWA's non big show business has been down as of late. And even the big shows aren't as hot as they were two months ago. Everything has a cycle. And for Mantel, this looked to be almost the perfect time to make the switch. Whether Mantel was the best booker over the past two years is open to interpretation. Whether he was the most successful booker, given the talent he had and the budget limitations is not. He was. And those closer to the situation than me, give him credit for being the key force in IWA overtaking WWC and going from being deeply in debt to running a profitable business. The turnaround came right after Mantel was hired from the world wrestling council by IWA and the IWA went from losing about a million dollars the previous year to becoming one of the few full-time profitable wrestling companies in the world. Mantel was sharing booking duties as of late with Bushwhacker, Luke Williams and Savio Vega. He will still remain affiliated with the IWA as a consultant, but won't be going to Puerto Rico any longer. This appears to be the final straw in Russo losing power. Although as a talent, he was more prominent on the September 17th show than he has been in several weeks. So listen, it's a big get. And I love the way we, we, we sort of emphasize this line. I want to read it again. Whether he was the most successful booker giving the talent he had and the budget limitations is not, he was. And those closer to the situation than me take credit for the IWA overtaking WWC. That's a big deal. You just drew the analogy that WWC World Wrestling Council was like the WWE and IWA sucking hind teeth, losing a million dollars here, losing money to keep the lights on. They just add Dutch and bam. They take over. And when you're talking about trying to bootstrap TNA and we've got budget limitations and we don't have everybody we wish we had. So we got talent roster limitations. He was perhaps the best in the business in this era by every account at making for lack of a better word, chicken salad. Fair to say. Big time. I would get so frustrated at Russo because he never respected not what Dutch, just his history. And this is where you kind of, so this is such a kind of an appropriate analogy. WWC was the WWE. IWA, Victor Kenyonis, uh, longtime WWWF uh, member of the family, really tight with Gorilla Monsoon. We're going back old school. He started opposition in Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico, San Juan, Isla Verde, uh, it's, it's a, it's a unique territory that you, you, you basically stay in San Juan and you don't have to leave. You work 
Wednesday, they did TV Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So four or five nights a week. And each trip was at the very longest to go all the way across the Island was two or three hours. I mean, in Memphis, the small trips were three hours, but you know, so, so you, you, you were at home, you got back around midnight or 1am every night. And then you didn't have to leave till three or four in the afternoon. That was kind of the rhythm all on Mondays and Tuesdays. Dutch would go out on the beach, sip a little rum, but that's where he would do his creative. And as he was super successful, but you know, Savio Vega, Hurricane Castillo, um, just the whole IWA crew had obviously broke in, had worked for Carlos and all this. So this spinoff or outlaw or opposition or whatever it may be was all a cast of characters for the most part. And then they started integrating new guys. So this is the AEW of the Island at the time. And Dutch would see guys from IWA on the beach because they all kind of lived in that same area went to a couple of different beaches, but Dutch half-ass ribbing at the beginning, but Dutch planting the seeds, he would tell different guys, hey, because he knew Victor from way back, because Victor worked for Carlos for off and on through all those years. He would say, hey, when you see Victor, tell him when he wants to start making money, wants to start drawing money, give me a call. That was the running joke, Conrad, for quite a while, quite a while, quite a while. Well, when Dutch saw the writing on the wall for Carlos, timing issues and all that, he made the jump. And when he made the jump, he had obviously been watching their product and knew how to kind of shuffle the pieces. And I, when I tell you he started making brand new stars, Ricky Medeiros, Apollo. But anyway, it's a life lesson that, you know, people don't think that, oh, you know, the, the, the nothing's ever got Carlos thought nobody's ever going to overtake us in ratings. Well, Dutch and company and the cast of characters did, and they started kicking WWC's. I mean, ours big time Conrad to the point that there were, you know, there were TV issues with Carlos. Their houses were abysmal. It was really, really a touch and go time. Now they're still in business today, but there was a, there was a period of time when the mainstay, the WWE of the island, was not second place. They were a distant second place, and IWA was kicking ass, and Dutch was instrumental in all of it because he was creating all of the stories, and that exact same roster was getting destroyed at IWA by WWC. They made one personnel change, and you just see it in the NFL. You see it in different coaching get a new coach, get a new system implemented, and you start winning with the same players. So uh, I was very aware of all that. And that's, you know, look, me and Dutch go back since before I broke in. But Dutch knew how to book what I always said. He knows how to do the story outside the ring and inside the ring. Um, there's a real art to give the people what they want, satisfy them, and then tell more of the story to get them to come back. I uh, I love the idea of Dutch sitting down with you guys and trying to figure out, okay, we're going to use this guy, we're going to use that guy, we can't use this guy, because it reminds me of another Dutchism. <laughs> Hell, we can't book some of these guys. They buy the pay-per-views, and if they're booked, it'll hurt our buy rates. <laughs> Smart-ass Dutch. <laughs> and he probably took a look at some of those early TNA crowds, and he thought to himself, self, 
I got another Dutchism. Here's another one. Hell, I've got a great idea. Let's let the people in for free, but charge them to get out. Oh, that's a standard. That is a standard. Can you, let me, you've, you've, have you, yeah, you've met Dixie, not just had phone conversations, right? Yeah. I met her once. Yeah. Can you imagine Dixie or anybody who doesn't really know this character hearing Dutchisms for the first time and the whole room or half the room popping and laughing and you're like, what the hell did he say? Hey, did he just take a shot at me? Did he just take a shot at our product? Who, who's he? <laughs> just, just the, the unknownness. <laughs> you got to know Dutch's personality. Bobby Roode, Eric Young. I could go down a whole James Storm, Chris Harris, the early mainstays of TNA. Didn't quite know how to take Dutch, but they learned to love him. And, 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 and I'll say for the most part, respect him, but there was a process because Dutch was very, very adamant about, and it's the generation he came from run the play. We're not asking you if we want to ask you, we're going to ask you, this is what we think the best play is. He Dutch is a big time, you know, he used to call me, you're a player coach, but, but we need a lot of players. We don't need any more coaches. And he had that mentality any minute from a place of let's go make money, not out of ego. The, uh, the Dutchisms continue. Hell, he couldn't draw you a fresh breath. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Keep rolling. When he was asked about AJ styles, he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't do drugs, anything. What the hell is he doing in the wrestling business? <laughs> you like that one, don't you, Conrad? It's funny. Uh, we, 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 um, I probably shouldn't say who, but there was the son of a, a pretty famous wrestling personality. And that son, he too was in the wrestling business. And you and I were at a show with him not too long ago. And the promoter or someone at the promotion had provided a cooler full of ice cold beer for after the matches. And as this wrestling son of a wrestling personality, who's also in the wrestling business himself comes through, he opens the cooler looking for a water or something and sees like 18 undrank ice cold beers. And he says, what the fuck are these guys doing in the wrestling business? And he went and got a Walmart bag and loaded the beers up. It was like, okay, this is what I imagined wrestling was like back in the day. (laughs) Uh, The torch would continue on March. I'm sorry, April. uh, I'll get it right. Eventually November 22nd, Jerry Jarrett or Jeff Jarrett and Dutch Mandel have been writing the TNA shows for a few weeks now. So they're having creative meetings held on Thursday mornings in Nashville. They're attended by Jarrett, Mantell, Jimmy Hart, Glenn Gilberti, Scott Nemore, and Dixie Carter. Jarrett still has final say on all booking matters, and Mantell is clearly second in uh, creative power. Gilberti, who used to write the shows along with Vince Russo, is still involved, but only as a contributor. Demore also contributes his ideas, but he's not entirely as involved in the process as he was when Russo and Gilberti were writing the shows. Russo said to be unhappy about his demotion from the writing crew, but keeps in regular contact with Panda's Dixie Carter. The general consensus is that Russo is being retained by TNA as Carter's fallback plan. But there are some who say Jarrett asked for Russo to remain on the payroll due to their friendship. The excuse Russo was given for being sent home is that Hulk Hogan wouldn't work with the company 
if he was involved in the creative process. Russo has been telling friends he believes Jarrett would have sent him home anyway because they butted heads creatively quite often over the last six months. Russo feels, and a lot of wrestlers agree, Mantel is nothing more than a yes man for Jarrett, whereas Russo would challenge Jarrett on their creative differences. Russo has been telling friends that he watches the show and he's been noting what he perceives to be a drop in quality since he and Gilberti started writing the show. So lots to unpack here. I love the idea of knowing what the creative room looked like. As a reminder, Jeff Jarrett, Dutch Mantel, Jimmy Hart, Disco Inferno, Scott DeMore, and Dixie Carter. And allegedly it's sort of plug and play Russo out Mantel in. Maybe there's the Hulk Hogan stuff that we got to discuss, but I'm more interested in it's pretty plain here that there's a belief that Dutch was your quote unquote, yes, man. And I think on some level, we can play devil's advocate on both sides of this. We could say, well, he enjoyed some of his greatest success in Memphis. You witnessed all that. You guys probably fall into your views on the business in a similar way. But then there's the other side of saying, well, if he thinks you're the boss and he's looking to secure his gig in wrestling on some level, that old school, shut your mouth and run the play and cash the check or whatever it is. Maybe that comes into play. Did you feel like at any point that Mantel was placating you or was a yes man? Or did you always feel like it was a collaboration? Did you always think that he would challenge you on stuff? And here, here's what. Shit, it ain't even, it's not even fascinating from a public facing in a group setting Dutch and he would from time to time, but he would be in alignment in a personal one-on-one relationship. Are you kidding? It's we just gut laughed that Dutch Mantel would really be anybody's yes, man. I mean, hell the comment that he made my old man about the steroid and food and all that, that, that yes, it's a joke, but I mean, Dutch ain't a yes man, never has. Look at his Puerto Rico set of circumstances. He, you know, just no. That's, I mean, I'd probably give it to the analogy. I think Bruce Pritchard has probably been been called a yes man so many times, but Bruce's one-on-one relationship with the chairman is anything but that. He's he's a guy, why else would he have survived? Ultimately, yes man get put out to pasture because the guy leading the ship just has this, this enough uh, you know, the way I see, it. I mean, no, it's, it's kind of in the words of J.R. outlandish vaudeville to think of Dutch Mantel being a yes man, but that whole room, which I, I, I loved hearing one of the names that jumped off the page was, was Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart. Do you think he wants to be in a creative room? But that nope. was, a, no, hell no. That's a Dixie Carter placate call. Uh, Glenn Gilberti. I like Glenn being in the room. It, it's it's a different, I've always said, different mindset, a different angle, a different kind of viewpoint. You, you need all that. Again, Dixie, very young, to her defense, in the industry, wanted to hear all these different options. And, and you know, I didn't really believe it back then. But now, as years have gone along, Russo was playing that fiddle over there. And, and, and you know, that's, he never gave, look, it's Dixie's fault. But, you know, just kind of that constant and Dutch would tell me that back then specifically in quiet private quarters that Russo ain't your friend. 
he's candidly working against you. I'm like, no, no, Dutch. No, what, if he's not working with you, then what do you call it? I'm like, okay, good point. Uh, but no, Dutch being a yes man, zero chance. I like the idea that he has a united front together. I think that's the way you're supposed to do business. It's, like, it's yeah. absolutely forward facing, you know, and, and I get Wade selling cheats back then and having yeah. to stir all that out. But D- Dutch, uh, again, he always, God bless his Clemson football team, but he had that mentality of on game day, be united in the creative room. He'd say, Hey guys, let's, let's hash it out. But when we get down to Orlando in the TNA days, We've got to be united. If not, talent is talent. They're going to divide and conquer. It's what they do. They're going to come to Dutch. Then they're going to come to Vince. Then they're going to come to Rudy. Then they're going to come to Jeremy Borash. Then they're going to go to Dixie. They're going to keep going to different people till they find the answer that they want to hear. And then when they find that answer that they want to hear, they're going to take it to Jeff. And I don't know how many times that happened. And you just go, okay, who all of you talked to? And the talent would say, oh, I just talked to, let's just say JB. I said, you didn't really talk to anybody else? I said, okay. And then I'd go to Dutch and Vince. Yeah, yeah, they came to me. I told them what you wanted, Jeff. I'm like, okay. It's just kind of the leadership mentality. Uh, And Dutch is very, very good at that. That's why at Puerto Rico, Moody Jack Melendez was his his production and maybe assistant. But Dutch liked to have that one-on-one relationship with the talent because his story, he could communicate it. When you put in multiple layers, it gets really, really complicated. 2004, can't believe this is real, but Woo Wings, your very own virtual restaurant concept, is now open, and fans can enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with their Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa, right here in Alabama. Many more locations coming soon. As a virtual restaurant, Woo Wings is looking to partner with existing restaurants in major metro areas. Tell your favorite sports bar or local restaurant you want Woo Wings in your town. And to visit RickFlairWings.com for more information on how to become a partner. But if you're in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Huntsville, or Tuscaloosa, hop on your Uber Eats or Postmates app and look for Woo Wings and try the only chicken wings worthy hearing the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion, Woo Wings. Be sure to check out RickFlairWings.com to become a partner. Uh, this is July. We got more news on Dutch from the torch. Wrestler compl- wrestlers are complaining about co-booker Dutch Mantel again. They say he's stubborn and insists that things be done his way. You can't even suggest anything to him. One wrestler said the second wrestler said that Mantel and all the TNA officials seem to have the take your money and keep your mouth shut. or We'll keep you home attitude. Others pointed out that he seems paranoid. And that he won't let anyone spend too much time with Jeff Jarrett before sticking his nose in to see what's going on. It is possible that Mantel has been asked by Jarrett to run interference for him. Either way, Mantel is one of the least popular authority figures in the TNA dressing room. A couple of months later, Wade would write this. When Dutch Mantel is told about someone making a suggestion for their character or storyline, his pat response is, fuck them. It's clear Mantel is feeling burnout from being the TNA booker and pressure due to the lack of success the promotion has had since he was brought in. Quote, his one and only goal each week is to keep Jeff Jarrett happy, says one TNA wrestler. Nothing else matters to him, and it's really why there's so many problems around here. 
says another wrestler. There are so many talented people around here with different strengths and they Jeff Jarrett and Dutch Mantel don't delegate well at all. So they end up overworked and everyone else feels underutilized. It's really frustrating because things could be so much better. So listen, a lot to unpack there. As I like to say, a small business owner oftentimes has to wear a lot of hats. Uh, I've often used the phrase, I'm the CEO, the manager, the receptionist, the janitor, everything in between, because that's what small business owners do. So I understand that from your perspective, and I understand that people are maybe being critical saying, oh, his job's to keep you happy. Well, that's kind of what most employees are looking for with an employer. So I don't fault him for that, but I do think we can have too much of that. A great mind in wrestling once told me a few years ago, Conrad, we do it all for an audience of one. It's less about on WWE programming back then, what the fans online think, or even the fans in the seats think it's more about what the man behind the curtain thinks. And I could see that. And this reads as if this wrestler is sort of inferring the same thing. Talk to me about Dutch and his management approach. Did you think he was unapproachable? Did you, do you think he was too heavy handed with the whole take your money and keep your mouth shut or we'll send you home? Should it be more of a collaboration or is that why creative sometimes gets a little wishy-washy? It needs to be one guy. It needs to be his vision. And maybe sometimes we get too many cooks in the kitchen. How are you navigating all of this back in 04? It, not just the wrestling business, Conrad, but the music business, uh, the movie business, the TV business, it all ultimately goes back to an audience of one. And that one has to have a vision, has to have a pulse, and have to ha- – I, I keep just going back to the executable vision that has to play out, and it's on their shoulders. It's that way today, and that's always it's always been. And Dutch – was well aware in Puerto Rico, it was his vision. In TNA, in these days, it was mine. But his heavy, heavy counsel, and probably at least half, hell, maybe 100%, Conrad, the issues that Dutch took on for the team, but also for me and for the process, Dutch was a huge believer in, let's get our cast of characters, put them on the show, and we we don't need to have a roster of 50, maybe not even 40. He wanted to keep this. So in turn, that made a lot of guys, especially coming to Orlando and getting paid by the show, and we're sh- shooting two shows, and they only get on one, and Dutch had no problem. Guys, this isn't the show we wrote. Uh, he may use the F-bomb on them. We're not adding you just to adding you. Now, the guy on the other side of that conversation needs to make his truck payment, needs to make it his apartment payment, needs to pay his bills. So therein lies the issue. But Dutch was on the front lines, and Russo didn't like to those kind of conversations. Jeremy didn't like to have those kind of conversations. A lot of them. Dutch being the wisdom, but also the veteran, and also understanding, hey, you know, Jeff's paying me. Dixie's paying me. The Carters are paying me. My role today is just this. I've got to deliver some bad news. And you catch Dutch on a cranky day. Maybe he didn't deliver it with tack, or maybe it's the 10th time he's had this exact same conversation with this talent who's 
being persistent, hats off to him, but he's going to be told for the ninth or 10th time. And so it just kind of therein lies the rub of the business. But Dutch, most of his bitching came from keeping a core group. That's how he's always drawn money. He used to tell me, look, in Florida, in Puerto Rico, I mean, he would have analogy and story. It, look, you're, you know, he'd tell me, Jeff, your old man made not just some success. He made a career of promoting off of basically, and he would say it's Lawler and others. And he said, hell Jeff, a lot of times I was one of those others. Now the fact is, you know, Lawler, you know, Lawler, the supporting cast and rock and roll and fabs and all that kind of stuff. Dutch believed on that narrow vision. You know, you, you, you look in the history of the business, it was stone cold and others. It was Hulk Hogan and others. And those others are, are big names, but Dutch had that mentality, but caught a lot of flat from that an awful lot of flag from that. And I'll just say there, there were oftentimes that his tact and diplomacy might not have been perfect, but he was trying to get the message across. You think he was burnt out after a year in here? <sighs> Burnout. I would say no. Just frustrated with super frustrated with the Dixie Carter. lack of clearly defining the ask of her it, it, because on, on Dixie's defense or her mindset, it's to, it's who she talked to last. And then it would circle back and uh, Dutch would go, I don't know how to help you. Does she want a Russo show? Does she want a Jeff show? Does she want a Dutch show? What are we going to do with this talent? I mean, every year when Sting came up, we all would unanimous, unanimously vote. Dixie, if you can afford Sting and your father is willing and it does it isn't allocated to our finite talent budget, yes, we want him. But if it doesn't fit, that's your call. And she was like, it just went on forever. It's like no clear cut decision. So Dutch frustrated, and I'm just giving you one of many, many examples. Burnout, no, frustrated, yes. I was told, uh, here's another Dutchism at a restaurant in this era. The waitress asked him if he was finished and Dutch said, I'm actually Swedish. <laughs> Things are tough here uh, in this era for TNA. So here's another Dutchism. As a reminder, TNA had a condo for talent who was coming in and it was maybe on a less than awesome part of town. Yes. So when Dutch is talking about Kurt Angle joining the operation and coming in to be a part of the company. He says, hell, Kurt's going to go from staying at the four seasons to the four drive-bys. <laughs> oh, Lord. Let's fast forward to the end of 04, November 27th. Uh, as we're recording, this was 18 years ago yesterday. Wow. Dusty Rhodes replaced Jeff Jarrett as the head booker of TNA this week. Jerry Jarrett spoke for several minutes and then introduced Dusty to the TNA wrestlers at a big meeting on Tuesday's impact taping. Dusty told the wrestlers there's a different vision for TNA's booking than Jeff, and he would begin to implement changes over the next few tapings. Dutch Mantel is going to remain as the booking assistant this time for Dusty, although he will probably have less influence over booking matters working with Dusty than he did with Jeff. Jeff Jarrett was said to be in good spirits, although he fought for the booking job. Once it was taken from him, he seemed to realize that a big weight had been lifted off his shoulders. We haven't talked about this before. Is that factual? On the one hand, you wanted it, but once you realize you didn't have to have it, it's like, oh, 
I don't have to mess with any of that. That's actually a lot better. Is that the way? I mean, that feels like a Jeff Jarrett story to me. You're not both been hit with bad news. At first, we don't like it. Give us an hour, and we've convinced ourselves it's the best thing that's ever happened to us. But, it, it, but I mean, it was definitely spot on because kind of a, a, a number of situations, uh, pay wasn't cut. Uh, me and Dusty had multiple one-on-ones. Um, I kind of understood the dynamics of Dallas, or I kind of, I definitely understood um, uh, j- just, I, I guess, you know, my wisdom at this stage of my career understood it's absolutely the best thing for Jeff Jarrett. Now, is it the best thing for TNA Entertainment? That's debatable, but guess what? It, everything's debatable. But, uh, yeah, I, I was um, I was pretty fired up on with my talent cap on because that was the first time in the history of TNA that I could just be a talent. That fired me up. I also knew the writing on the wall for Dutch and others is over. His game set match. And I get it. Dusty was bringing in his own mindset. And, look, Dusty and Dutch, not far from the same age. Dusty didn't want nobody around him telling him what to do either. He had his own uh, own vision, own mindset, and and he was going to go run his play. I love the uh, the Dutchism. Here's another one. I don't care what he calls wants to call his finisher. He ain't going to be using it. <laughs> that's that's definitely in the room. New talent come in. All right, what's this guy's name? What's his finish? Dutch said, who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's another one. He's got built-in birth control. His personality. <laughs> I went to Penn State. My brother went to State Penn. Yeah. We need a main event. Other than not having a heel and having a baby face, we're in pretty good shape. <laughs> Hell, my balls have more heat than he does. <laughs> I'm hungry for a seven course meal, a baked potato and a six pack. <laughs> Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Oh Lord. You make her look like the North end of a southbound mule. Louisiana sucks except for new Orleans. Hell new Orleans pretty much sucks too. <laughs> Dutch on the way a wrestler dressed. He's the only guy I know who could get fired from an, for appearance from a construction job. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and stand for this. You can take the wrestler out of the independence, but you can't take the independent out of the wrestler. <laughs> that my friends is going to be a shirt. <laughs> We're going to have that as a shirt coming soon. You can take the wrestler out of the independence, but you can't take the independent out of the wrestler. My goodness. Oh, and Conrad, you know, just to be fair to the My World listeners, I'm chuckling because Dutch's delivery in a room is it's hilarious. Is 80% of it. And these folks don't have the opportunity, the, to time. the timing and the delivery of it. But you, you're doing a hell of a job of it. But I am chuckling at, uh, and I used to look at other fakes, folks around the room when he's delivering these, these one liners or these Dutchisms just to try to get their reaction like. What the hell did he just say? <laughs> and I've heard him all a million times. So I asked insert wrestler here to bleed one time. Hell, I got more color shaving. <laughs> oh, God, man. 
I stand out like a six pack in a dry County. <laughs> let's, uh, let's jump into it. The torch would say it's heavily rumored. that Dutch Mantel is going to be the first casualty of the power struggle between the Jarrett's. Mantel has been performing his usual duties at the recent tapings, but wrestlers say he's acting like a person who knows his days are numbered. He used to run interference between the wrestlers and Jeff Jarrett, but he didn't play that role last week. Instead, telling several wrestlers to take any of their concerns or complaints directly to Jeff. He came off very nervous, said one wrestler. The same wrestler said the overwhelming majority of wrestlers would be happy to see Mantel leave, which concurs with what numerous wrestlers have been saying for months now. What comes around goes around, said the wrestler. Mantel didn't act any more enthusiastic this week when Dusty took over, and the betting line is that Dutch Mantell will remain active in the TNA front office. Although he was an ally of Jeff Jarrett through the power struggle, Jerry considers Dutch to be like an unofficial member of the family. So we'll talk about all the back and forth with you and your dad some more another time, but is that accurate that your dad considered him like a, an unofficial Jarrett? He's a, he's part of the fam. He had worked off and on, like, like we said, since 79, 80. And now this is 2004. So 25, there's a 25 year relationship, but here's kind of the dynamic of, of, of the whole shooting match. Dixie, you know, I, maybe she had been named the title of president, but regardless president or non-president, she still had heavy influence. So again, she also, you know, my dad definitely didn't want to let go of Dutch and she didn't really either because if, 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 if she was gone, she'd get the heat and, and was kind of trying to play the middle. If you, if you will, didn't want any stink on that. And then when, you know, as it came to, Dusty hired and fired folks. That was a part of his job. That's, that's, that's just the nature of the beast. He had no problem taking any heat of it. And, you know, you, you hear as Wade or Dave, I don't know which one, you know, wrestlers are going to be glad to see him go. Yet those are the ones that weren't getting booked. I mean, it's, it's just the nature of our industry. It's just unfortunate that it is this way. Um, Dutch doesn't leave. He's still a part of the creative process for a long time. And that makes me want to know, we've sort of explained what your relationship with him was and what your dad's relationship with him was. How did he get along with Dixie? Yeah. Now he, he Dutch is a politician because he's been in the industry since early seventies, but Dutch is one of those guys. And I will, I mean, tip my cat to him. And this is, you know, live and learn. This is obviously BS. But I would watch Dutch because he would not. You may be surprised at this, Conrad. Dutch would not BS Dixie, but mm. he would deliver and everybody BSed her or played their own angle and this and that or told Dixie because she's leading the witness what they thought she wanted to hear. Dutch had a diplomacy about him, and he he believed this. He believes this today. The only way Dixie's going to get educated is if we try, sincerely try. And Dutch would do that with her time after time after time. And I think Dixie came to respect that. Now, in 2009, when when the all that went down, um, it was the Hogan influence and it was game, set, match. And we'll, we'll get to that. But I think one-on-one, Dixie respected Dutch. I do. 
And with ideas like this flying around, how could she not? Jeremy Borash once suggested that there should be a new character for the end of every show, Mr. Cliffhanger. <laughs> and Dutch said, and he'll bring a valet, Mrs. Sue Spence. But it's... Yeah. Uh, you once famously asked in a booking meeting, what is Abyss afraid of? And Dutch says, barbed wire. No, he overcame that. And JB chimed in. He's afraid of losing his spot. <laughs> Dutch That's baseball. Dutch once told you, you could get in the zone watching that though. And he replied, yeah, sleeping zone. And I was told there's actually a Dutch Mantel rating system that was put together by Scott Demore and Irish Pat Kenny. Oh yeah. And if it was, if it was really good. So start at the top and work our way down. Like a five star, like a five star, hell of a deal. Like a four star, good little deal. (laughs) Like a three star. It's all right, man. (laughs) Like a two star. That was the shits. Yeah, yeah, here we go. And then our famous, the one star. That wasn't just the shits. It was the fucking shits. Hell. <laughs> Hell of a deal and good little deal. <laughs> Jeremy and Dutch uh, were once going back and forth. And Jeremy says, Dutch can't swim. And Dutch says, oh, I can swim. I just wouldn't want to. <laughs> I don't know why, but that I, took me. <laughs> useless information i uh i enjoy talking about dutch mantel and one of the things that i didn't know was it's been said that dutch found awesome kong do you know the backstory on that i don't i knew they hit it off from the day they got there dutch uh, I'm, I'm right up there a few others but huge he 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 just knew that you could build a division around her it was like we got it the knockouts we've kind of woven in and out, but Dutch is so again, the, the Jerry Jarrett school of thought or, or other school of thought is you, you can build uh, your, your stories. Lawler was the King. He was the dragon slayer. Um, Dutch felt very strongly that the, that the knockouts needed to have an anchor that you built everything around and how do we get baby faces over build a hill first. So, so it, regardless of what baby faces we had, how do we get them over? They kind of beat somebody that means something. So let's go with Kong. Um, Kong had worked in Japan. She, she worked around, but uh, man, uh, folks jump over to our YouTube page and, and watch this, the part of it, because awesome Kong in these days, I, I I can't come up with enough adjectives to, to 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 talk about her because she was perfect timing, perfect spot, and the stories really, really were told right. Well said, uh, an incredible performer, and uh, I guess another feather in the cap for Dutch. Uh, Dutch's time in TNA ends in late July 2009. It's reported as creative differences. Uh, Meltzer would have this to say the turmoil in TNA continued this past week with the firing of creative team member, Dutch Mantel, who's 59 and Savio Vega, who at the time was 42. 
The belief is the firings were to send a message, which was received clearly regarding Jeff Jarrett's power base. Jarrett was sent home, believed to be when company president Dixie Carter found out that Jarrett was seeing Karen Angle after Jarrett had apparently assured her the rumors of such weren't true. Most feel the widespread changes are going on in TNA, but nobody seems to have a clue what they are. Mantell told friends that he saw his firing as, quote, taking a bullet for Jarrett. Mantell had success as a booker in Puerto Rico for years before joining the TNA staff in 03. Booking the U.S. as a secondary promotion is a lot harder than booking in Puerto Rico before WWE toured regularly and where wrestling is a much bigger part of the culture. He had adopted the attitude of getting along to keep his job. As Jerry Jarrett said that when Mantell first got there and was upset about the direction, Jerry Jarrett told him that he could either keep his job or be right. That is a sentence and a half. I'm going to let it marinate for a minute and repeat it. Jerry Jarrett told him he could either keep his job or be right. Wow. We'll talk about all the other moving and shaking and all the stuff with you and Dixie some other time. But did you believe that because you had maybe a little bit of heat on you that Mantell really did, as he said, quote unquote, take a bullet for Jarrett? Well, my head was blown off in the power play. Uh, it's, so so I, I had taken the, 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 the cannon, uh, but he was collateral damage without question. January to July of that year, main event mafia, uh, AJ Styles in the front line, uh, Mick Foley, Jeff Jarrett. I was the founder. Mick was the legend. We're trying to, that was the whole storyline. The most successful run of ratings when I, did the all the data and research for the Jeff Jarrett, Toby Keith uh, acquisition, all that came crystal. But it was very, very clear that the power play took place. She used the Karen, Dixie used the Karen situation. Um, end of July, uh, you know, the whole Kurt bull crap and all that. But I mean, overnight, including Spike TV, it was Jeff out and anybody uh, that was attached to him gone as quick as we can because Hogan's coming in. I mean, it's, it's that clear. So, so taking a bullet uh, is one way to say it collateral damage. Cause there was Savio, there was several others as well that all were wiped out. Go, go look at the November and December pay-per-views and look at that talent roster versus the July pay-per-view. It's just, uh, it's a shame to see the way it all comes down. If you had to sort of critique it with the benefit of hindsight, what do you think Dutch's strengths and weaknesses were as a, as a booker? Strengths, timing, episodic nature, telling on T, you know, as a part of the content, telling enough of the story to, to get the viewer invested emotionally, but, but, but stopping at the point that, you know, to, to Russo, everybody's got a different flavor, uh, and different style and, you know, Vince and his bias towards Southerners and, and Dutch being from the South, they were all in water so many times, but a lot of times they ultimately wanted to get to the same spot. Vince just wanted to tell his story 
I don't say quicker, but more verbally, more from a writer's perspective, Dutch always liked to have that good balance as I'm going to tell this part of the story outside the ring, Conrad, if this makes sense. But in the ring, in this match, I'm going to advance the story this way by want, by, by winning or losing or get a finish in and then tell a little bit more of the story. So that Dutch had a good, good balance of sports entertainment, professional wrestling. I think it's one and the same. I think he had a real good balance on storytelling both in and out of the ring. I think that would be his top strength. I think, um, you know, look, Dutch has got diplomacy when needed, but I believe at times his diplomacy w- wasn't always there, but hell, mine wasn't either. And and there comes a, there comes a time when no matter how diplomatic, sometimes you have to deliver a message that a talent or somebody doesn't want to hear. Right. But that's just the nature. That's the nature of the beast. But in the world we live in the climate we live in, and I'm going into 2008, nine, you know, now 13 years later, boy, it's, it's a whole different kettle of fish. So maybe his diplomacy, uh, but I, I can't even say that's a weakness at times. Uh, You know, uh, that's uh, but I if you're asking a strength and a weakness, that's where I'd go with it. Here's another little Dutchism that was sent to us. You were once asking, How much should we start this new wrestler at? And you said, What should the new guy's rate be? And Dutch allegedly said, Hell, start him at a hundred dollars and bill him for the rest. <laughs> so after he leaves TNA, he goes back to the Indies, he works IWA Puerto Rico. He wrote his first book in December of 2009, The World According to Dutch. It's available on Amazon right now. Uh, we touched on last week. He was a big part of ring King that you're going to bring to life uh, in 2011. And then all of a sudden he appears in WWE as Zeb Coulter managing Jack Swagger that you touched on at the top of the show starts a run as the real Americans. It was pretty controversial, but it was a big gimmick and, and clearly got a lot of attention. He's going to be with the company until May of 2016 when he's released. Uh, he very quickly appears at the global force wrestling slash wrestle pro show in June. Um, hypothetically, and this is a big episode some other time would Dutch have had a role in global force had it taken off the way you originally hoped. And I can't wait till we do that pod one day. It's going to be fascinating. But the question is absolutely yes. And, and I would have leaned more on his wisdom because this is debatable, but I think I've gotten a little wiser through the years, but his wisdom now, look, you, you like everybody's creative ideas. They're all subjective. Some are better than others. Some are terrible. Get Dutch's rating system. Some are a hell of a deal. Some are okay. And some little are good, good little deal. <laughs> we can use all that, but yes, he, he would have been, uh, but I just quickly, I want to go back uh, two things on his uh, WWE run with, with Jack or Jake. One, one thing that really, you know, I don't think people understand or know, but Dutch said that Vince took not good, but great care of him, care of him on that run. Uh, just from transportation to payoffs to, uh, you know, their collaborative and creative Go back and watch, folks, on the network, those episodes, and look at the heat that a guy in his, at this point, what, 60s? Uh, 
just, I mean, Dutch knows how to talk. That real American was an extension of his personality. He knew how to push the hot topics and the hot buttons and everything that went with it. But I was really happy to, that character I thought resonated with a sports entertainment audience because the authenticity Dutch could bring to it. They knew how to kind of dance the line and I thought they did a good job of it, but a lot of heat on Dutch, but, uh, but uh, me hearing that Vince took really good care of him. I was happy because that was Dutch's last run, if you will. Uh, And, and so that, that was pretty cool to hear, but yeah, he, he's look, me and him have had conversations when I've drove up to Springfield, Illinois, baseball, you know, different conversations about different things. I mean, Conrad, a couple of times early um, in the podcast days, I would call and pick his brain on certain things. And, you know, Dutch is a great storyteller uh, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, Dutch has always been, I'll call, he's for sure outside of my family, right up there at the very top of my uh being my mentors in this business, right? You know, outside of my family, for sure. One of my mentors. He comes back uh, to TNA in January of 27, same time as you did. I assume that's a, that's a Jeff Jarrett call. hundred percent. He's uh, coming in as a creative consultant, but very quickly replaces big as head of creative. Uh, how important do you think Dutch was in your mind to getting TNA back to where you wanted it? Here's, Man, what I know now versus what I knew then, I, I just, I had no idea the players involved with Anthem. I had no idea with the talent. Um, I didn't know the crew we were putting together, but we, you know, Sanjay was a part of the crew. Dutch was a part of the group. Oh gosh, Spud, JB, Big, Gaburuk, just all the players. Um, but I, I knew Dutch knew how to, here's another thing in the, those, those, 2017 days we were going down and doing at least four two-hour shows maybe six we'll call it a gang taping dutch would get confused and he would throw his formats around and silliness and in the room and like we're doing this and that but dutch we sit around a big conference table and have gosh maybe three whiteboards maybe four whiteboards because you had four or six shows going and segment by segment Dutch would kind of sit back in his chair and look up at it. Abyss would be in the room, but Dutch would, uh, and we would have maybe two day sessions or three day sessions. Dutch would come back on day two or day three, Conrad, it's a little inside baseball. And he would always say, Hey man, uh, I'm gonna call you on the way in. And we would talk on Dutch's 30, 40 minute ride into the office. Uh, but also when he would get there, He'd say, give me a few minutes, come here. And I'd go in there and look, wanting to start the meeting or whatever it may be. But Dutch would always kind of have thought about things overnight, process things and say, why don't we do A, B, and C? And I would say, bring it up in the room. Why don't we, but Dutch, when he goes all in, he is all in on the creative process. And again, that's why it's laughable him be a yes, man. He's going to tell you, here's how I see the vision. Take it for what it's worth, but this is what I would do. That's what you want from a creative head. You want to hear people say, this is what I would do. And they take ownership right or wrong. Dutch had no problem doing that. I know he pitched an idea to you once. It went like this. Or you reminded him of uh, an idea he brought to you sort of a reality show for TNA, a new show. 
Remember that idea you had Dutch TNA's got talent, sort of like America's got talent. And Dutch replied, hell, I looked around and I changed my mind. <laughs> uh, of course, Dutch is going to leave TNA in December when Don Callis and Scott Demore take over. You think there was underlying old school heat between Scott and Dutch? Why don't you think that stuck? There is no chance, zero chance that Dutch, I mean, you know, uh, my disease of addiction yeah. came to a head uh, October the 25th, 2017. Uh, and so that's when we officially parted ways, uh, Jeff and Anthem. And again, Dutch was collateral damage of all of that. But Dutch was, Scott was not going to have Dutch on his staff under any condition. Why not? Creative differences. Can you give me an example? It, they just got a different vision for the business. I mean, it, it just, they, they, oh boy. Um, Try to extrapolate and give me an example. Cause I, I, I know like and trust Scott and I, and I know and appreciate everything that the Dutch has done, but I could see how one was maybe old school. One was new school, but is there more to it than that? There's a Dutchism. If you can't, Bedazzle them with brilliance. Oh, here it is. Let me get it right for you. If you can't dazzle them with brilliance, befuddle them with bullshit. Scott doesn't like to do outlandish stuff. That ain't up his alley. He he really likes a lot of wrestling. And I say that with total respect. Yeah. Like, he likes, uh, as JR would say, let's use a JRism. More steak, less sizzle. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, all, all, all of that, all, all of that. So Dutch would do the stuff where y'all like pushed a girl in front of the train and she died and all that, and Scott didn't want to do that stuff. Well, I don't know about tra train spots, but you know, you, you look at, uh, oh gosh, a, a number of things. Look at Memphis. I mean, that's really um, uh, Dutch. I mean, Mickey James was murdered on Impact Wrestling, was she not? Mickey was, was she? Yeah. She got murdered at a train station. Is that recently? 2015. I mean, she's still alive in real life. Okay. I, I wasn't there at 2015. So, uh, no, but I'm just saying that was the type of stuff that TNA had tried to do. Um, yeah, and maybe that was not doing the good, good, good analogy. Um, think about Dutch's other upbringing, Puerto Rico, blood and guts. And I'm not just right. saying blood for blood, wild brawls, uh, you know, Texas death match, 28 falls, um, all, all that kind of stuff that may fall in the category of that's a little outlandish. That's a little bit too Memphis. That's a little bit too gimmicky. That's a little bit too, um, j just over the top, if, if you will. Um, that, that just wasn't up their alley. Uh, it, it just, it, it wasn't up their alley and I get it. it, it everybody has a different creative vision what has dutch meant to you in your life and career i just touched on that a little bit that is something that i've when when, when you know last week we mentioned it, but we you know i've seen the schedule when it comes off and on and dutch is on and he's off just because of scheduling purposes i don't think i know i'm not the same uh professional wrestling talent executive 
creative member, if you will, all things affecting my professional wrestling career. Had Dutch not been a part of it, I wouldn't be who I am today. Good and bad. I'll say well, that. Let's Good talk about that. So your dad, he he's on the list of those influences. Oh yeah. My grandmother. Your grandmother. Okay. Is there one more? Who would round out your Mount Rushmore of influences? If it's your dad, your grandmother, Dutch, who would the fourth one be? Vince. Okay. I like it. Uh, what do you think Dutch's legacy in wrestling will be? It is such a, uh, because th- this modern era, uh, modern fan, they just, they, there's, you, you, you can't go back and watch the Puerto Rico run that he had as a heel and how good of an athlete he was. There's some Memphis tough and there's some Memphis, Tennessee promos between him and Lawler that are gold, but Dutch is a, to me about as well-rounded of a, of someone who gets in this industry. He could, he could be a heel. He could be a baby face. He could be a booker. He could be an assistant booker. He could produce pre-tapes. Um, hell he's an author and well-read. Um, he's a manager, both as a heel and a baby face. Um, he understands someone and what do you say? Turn 73 Dutch understands. And this is something that we would have some fun conversations about that. You know, you go from Saturday morning wrestling to, uh, we'll call it syndicated wrestling superstars challenge and worldwide at WCW. Then you get into the attitude era. Then from the attitude era, you know, obviously the monthly pay-per-views and all that. Then you kind of get into streaming. Now we're in the era of digital consumption and the wrestling product is one component. Monday Night Raw may or may not. Yes, it's the flagship. And SmackDown is the flagship. But all the content that's created out of that is equally important. Dutch is a guy that understands methods of distribution of this industry. He, he, he has kept up with the times. I think Jerry Lawler understands it. There's a lot of guys, and I saw many this weekend, that that are 10 and 15 and 20 years younger than Dutch that that really think their era was the absolute best. Dutch isn't one of those guys. D- Dutch understands that in 2022, you, you, you better be aligned with TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You better have a flagship show. You better have shoulder programming and you better do something outside the box and you better know how to entertain him. Very well-rounded. His legacy is completely well-rounded in this industry and has continually learned. I think that's another mark. Warren Buffett says it. There's a bunch of legendary leaders. Conrad, you, you, you're a legendary leader and you know it, but, but you know, the, um, uh, the continuous learning, yeah. I think the, the the continuous learning is something that Dutch, uh, until he goes to the uh, takes the backdrop in the sky, I think he'll always continue learning. He's got his gig, you know, and, and sports keto or whatever it may be. Um, he stays. He loves this business. Again, we're 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 both got the addiction of professional wrestling, uh, but but he's. Um, He's never quit learning, and I respect the hell out of that. I really, really do. 
Let's uh, let's put you on the spot here. We've posted all the Dutchisms to uh, adfreeshows.com, but chat me up. Do you have a favorite one? Oh, his old simple stuff through the years. But um, it depends on the, the, the scenario, but I believe, man, I've gotten a lot of good feedback. Conrad, I got over at WrestleCade, d- different guys in the business. I'll call it boys in the business or young guys. They've come up. And Conrad, they put you over, obviously, like a million bucks. Said, hey, man, you guys – uh, I'm doing this at a guy this week, you know, I run this business, just kind of the business talk and then the wrestling talk and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Dutch is rough around the edges, but his thought process, you know, was there comes a time where you just got to go run the play. It's yeah. not your, it, it's, it's, tr- I always, there was so much merit to that, that th- there is so much Dutch understood understands that there is, uh, I guess maybe, okay, here's one. I know I'm rambling, Conrad, but he would say, hey, fellas, we're going to get to the same spot in that it doesn't matter if the heel or the baby face goes over. After the match, whatever that one, two, three is, then we're going to tell a little bit more of a story, and then that's how we're. So getting to the same spot, Dutch understood there's a lot of ways to do this right. Let's figure out what we all kind of collectively think is the right way to do this. And then everybody get on board, shut up and do it as opposed to continue to second guess it till you right, go right. You know, he would say, he said, Jeff, that, that is a morale killer. It's a town killer. It's a business killer. When folks just continue come through the curtain and they've got a great reaction off what we just did. And then they're still bitching. Well, we could have done this. No, let's move on past that. Oh man. Dutch, that's, I mean, Conrad, that's a hard, one to come up with one favorite duchess run the play is is one of my favorites well here's the top five Uh, number one never interfere with your enemies while they're in the process of destroying themselves (laughs) number two poverty has a strange way of changing someone's attitude number three i always like my reality shows to be well scripted (laughs) number four when you stop list when you start listening to marks pretty soon you'll be sitting with them Number five, people will rise to the level of their incompetence. Mm. Of course, this is a Dutchism top five. So there's three more. (laughs) If you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. Yeah. I think my dad said that first. Okay. Here's another hell back in the day. People thought the space program was fake, but wrestling was real. And lastly, certainly not least your very favorite one. Shut up run the play and cash the damn check. I enjoyed today's, uh, stroll down memory lane. Let's hit a few, uh, questions here along the way. If you got a question for us, because next week we're talking about turning point 2007 mm. this is the now infamous Scott Hall. No show. Samoa Joe is going to cut a promo. And as soon as he comes backstage, Mr. Kevin Nash has some advice for him. They have a discussion. We'll talk about it next week on the program. If you've got a question, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and ask it at my world pod. If you're trying to introduce uh, a new listener, the wrestling fan in your life to our program, perhaps the best way to do it is over on YouTube. We want you to like hit the subscribe button and turn on your notifications for my world on youtube.com. That's my world on youtube.com. Jeff is on all the platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, 
and it's at real Jeff Jarrett and TikTok. Uh, there you go. And TikTok. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad on Twitter and uh, Facebook on Instagram. It's at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Nothing that matters. Uh, let's jump around and do some questions. Oh, I want to rem- remind everybody too. We got something pretty cool happening. I don't know if you've even heard this. This is sort of late breaking news. Our man, Kevin Nash is joining us over at adfreeshows.com. Yeah, buddy. And it's happening next Tuesday. So as you're listening to this one week from today, something huge is happening. Sean Oliver of kayfabe commentaries. One half of the click this podcast is going to be hosting a live watch along with Kevin Nash. As they watch back Starcade 1998. Yes. That is the Starcade where Kevin Nash ended Goldberg's streak. It's available only to my push and top guys, but you'll be able to ask questions for Kevin Nash. So you're going to do a live watch along of this monumental moment in wrestling history. Not only the main event of Starcade 98, not only where Kevin Nash became the world champ, but he finally Someone finally ended Bill Goldberg's undefeated streak. Of course, I had a little cameo from uh, our dearly departed Scott Hall. We're going to watch it together. You get to ask questions. The only place this happens is adfreeshows.com. And that's just one piece of bonus content. We're doing stuff like this all the freaking time, but we want you to make plans to join us next Tuesday, December 6th. It's a live watch along 9 p.m. Eastern. Kevin Nash and Sean Oliver watching that unbelievable main event from Starcade 98. What a moment it was in wrestling. That's uh next Tuesday, one week from today. Let's do a few questions here. Then we'll wrap this one up, dude. Uh, Francis wants to know any key advice that Dutch gave you that has stuck with you today. Is that still the whole run the play deal? Uh, key advice. Um, kiss method. Keep it simple. Stupid. Uh, that, that, I mean, he, he was very good about filtering out, uh, you know, uh, in creative writing, folks get in there and get things too wordy. He, he, Dutch is a big believer in keeping things simple. And I could go, I could answer that question forever, but yeah, run the play, keep it simple. Those kind of things. Wrestling study podcast says what match idea or concept or storyline did Dutch want to do in TNA, but it was next or canceled. About half of them. No. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That that's was there one that jumps out that you think, man, he brought it up all the time and I eventually had to say, Dutch, quit it. We're not doing that. Oh, that he wanted to do that I canceled. Yes. I I'm sure there's a bunch. Um No, I mean I can't think of Not off the top of my head, I really can't think of one. I'm sure there's plenty. Scott Golden says, with Dutch being such a natural talker, was there ever a thought to give him a spot in the TNA booth at any point? Yes. But I knew for sure that I was wearing multiple hats. I wanted Dutch to be thinking 100% all the time at creative. Uh, But Dutch being a manager, Dutch being uh, play by play. I mean, I mean, color commentary. Yes. Multiple, multiple times, probably more than Dutch even realizes. Well, listen, today was a lot of fun. Uh, I want to remind everybody that, uh, today, in case you missed it, 
is his birthday. So let's do something nice for uh, a friend of ours. Dutch Mantel is on Twitter at Dirty D Mantel. That's at Dirty D Mantel. Go L's. check it out. Two L's, right? Uh, so yeah, today is his birthday. D I R T Y D M A N T E L L. At Dirty D Mantel. Uh, today's his birthday. Go throw him something out there and uh, check him out. He's got a little thing growing over on YouTube, wrestling shoot interviews, and uh, you're getting his take on current wrestling every week. And uh, I've had a chance to check some of it out, and he's as entertaining as ever. And if you're looking for more Dutchisms, they're posted now over at adfreeshows.com. Uh, you get all of our content early and ad free, but a week from today, baby. Woo! Starcade 1998, com. And I know you teased it earlier, but are folks even going to believe all the stuff me and you were working on behind the scenes for 2023? I'm fired up, pal. You know, I'm fired up about a lot of things going on in, uh, my, 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 I'll call it my, uh, the last outlaw pretty fired up, pretty fired up about the AEW situation fired up about the Jeff and Connie situation. 2023. Uh, I was very grateful on Thanksgiving for my 2022 of course, you know how my brain works and your brain work. I was thinking about 2023 and thinking, hmm. I said to myself, self. <laughs> That's a Conradism. It's uh, it's going to be a big year. Uh, we got big business meetings in Nashville. Uh, I'm going to be there on the 8th of December. I'm going to be back on the 12th of December. Uh, and everybody's going to know what for real soon. And I think later today. Folks are going to start to see some big news they didn't expect. So if you haven't already, stay tuned this afternoon. Might be some news you might find a little interesting. And I'm sure we'll talk about it next week right here on My World. Peace. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.